This is Tom from Third Rail Design Lab. And this is Blake. Oh, brother. <laughs> Blake, Blake what? Oh, oh, my God. Begin again. Blake, begin again, Simmons. Do you, do you want to? <laughs> Too late. <laughs> Release the... Kraken. So, begin again, Blake Simmons. Here we are. A mere, uh, what, maybe 96 hours or something since we last saw each other? Indeed. It's a, it's a good string. We should keep it going. Every uh, 96. <laughs> and every 96. So, um, we're, uh, this, we're, we're, we're going to do a sweet, sweet recording, you and I, about wonderful things. Um, and, and, and the connectivity of those wonderful things. Oh, yes. So the first thing I have to say is that we have to follow the structure. We have to follow the order of this podcast. We've gotten too loose too many times. I, okay. want, to start, I want to start with structure. Sucking the monkey segment is first. What are you uh, sucking, you monkey? What are you sucking? I'm drinking my, my, I have a canned monkey that I'm sucking. Uh-huh. Uh, it's, a, it's a rum and ginger cocktail from... Uh, cut water spirits and it's actually pretty darn good and you good sir what perchance would you be inviting tonight don't misdirect i have more questions so i've not known anyone who would actually has has tried those cocktails in a can uh i have tried one in japan i had one of those highballs in a can um it was neither a highball <laughs> nor was it not a highball <laughs> that's very strange suntory highball but w- yours is uh it's good or not it's, good. Uh, well, it's um, yeah. This uh, this particular cocktail brand actually is pretty good in the can, and so I've had the uh, the cucumber vodka one, and then yeah. this rum and ginger, yes. and so they're not so bad. Yeah. I mean, it's only been it's been a sample over five months, so you have to take it with a grain of salt. But um, yeah, rum and ginger is pretty good. Not bad. All right. I am having a, uh, well, let's see, I took some, I took two different vodkas, a straight vodka from Tito's and then a uh, um, infused vodka, and then I mixed it with um, some club soda and a significant amount of delicious uh, organic uh, lemonade. So nice. it's kind of a, yeah, it's a refreshing beverage, and I'm doing, and I'm drinking it out of my Thanos cup, which may or may not be appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> It all depends on what you do with it. I know. I still can't remember which which stone I'm missing on this for some reason. <laughs> did, we, thought, did we figure that I out? Thought it was, I thought it was a soul stone. Oh, did I lose the soul stone? Mm-hmm. That seems that seems about right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, okay. So I think um, I think the the important thing is that we are going to suck our monkeys responsibly. Indeed. On this ho- on this ho- holiday weekend, in which so few people really do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Even if yours is a weird monkey in a can that's so strange. Yeah, well, there's an Uber everywhere, everyone. Be safe. Yes, yes. All right, so um, I think before we begin our, our the main thrust of our conversation, we should do a little bit of a Red Sky Roundup. These days, that's what we used to call the uh, Robots Root segment, but it's the news. Um, and the thing is, <laughs> because, because, because we've um, we've had some inconsistency in the... Uh, schedule of our recordings due to your, you know, my work schedule, your work schedule, us being on airplanes everywhere, and 
and Chris's con schedule and, and my medical and my medical sir, uh, schedule yes, hasn't helped yes, things yes, at all. Yeah. Yes, you you having the um, the Russians stealing your organs and all that stuff is <laughs> happening to you. That, that whole episode. Yeah. Yes. Um, so what we found is there's this big pool of news that you know we're not going to touch on everything. Uh, every once in a while we do a news a news episode and we still don't really you know put a dent in it um and i used to write a bunch of sort of current news on the robot-kraken.com website which was um you know it was fun but i don't have time for that anymore so what we're doing now is we just roll some dice and by we i mean me and then uh and then i will assign that to an item on this news list and we will discuss are you ready i am ready all right here we go so Aha. So, uh, Wonder Woman poster. Dynamite! Dino. <laughs> that was really inappropriate. <laughs> and scene. <laughs> what? I, that was highly appropriate. <laughs> what, did, what did you think of it? I mean, I know what you thought of it because I saw it next with you <laughs> the other night. Yeah, yeah, no. What did, I, I thought uh, the aesthetic was very arresting, right? It, it grips you. And it's very obvious about what it is. So even though there's no none of the usual um, text work that you would associate with a poster of that magnitude, uh, I thought it was really well done. And um, it looked pretty trippy. So I think they're going into the Doctor Strange thing with Wonder Woman. That'll be great. You know, it's interesting. I mean, I've, there's been some, some stuff about what the plot may or may not be on. And, you know, it's all... Well, spoilers, everyone. But... Um, you know, it's 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 their version of Maxwell Lord, which is something deeply entrenched in a lot of DC Comics history, particularly over the the uh, few decades that I was reading. Um, and it's interesting that if this is an artifact hunter who's pulling, you know, interdimensional and timey wimey devices and uh, doing terrible things with them, the comparisons to how the Marvel Cinematic Universe has handled things like magic and mythology will be even more present. Um, it was already there in the first Wonder Woman movie, mm-hmm. um, and then it was beaten into it was beaten into the ground in the other <laughs> DC <laughs> stuff. But um, I have a feeling that um, with the pedigree of these people, that they'll pull off something that's interesting. Um, it does explain how we're going to get a Street Trevor, I think. Yes, agreed. It's, yeah, it's the temptation and such. Um, and I'm really, I'm really interested in uh, in seeing if um, Kristen Wiig can pull off Cheetah in a way that is um, entertaining and then turns uh, arresting. Because it's a lot of com- comedic actors can be really interesting to watch out of genre, but then um, you know sometimes they don't stick the landing. And she's done some dramatic work, which is really good. I. I'll be, it'll be interesting to see if she can do that um, from the perspective of being an arch supervillain or whatever it is that they're going to do. I think it all depends on how they handle her from the yeah. uh, directorial side of things because it will make a big difference. Yes. And Patty Jenkins is all over it. So I, I yeah, you know, this is one of the few projects on the, in the DC side that I feel like I just trust them to do whatever they're going to do. Um, I mean, that said, we really liked Wonder Woman, but you know, it's easy to forget now, given how much we've seen since that was so um, disturbing, but the, the final, the third act of that movie (laughs) compared to Aquaman. I mean, (laughs) Aquaman, I didn't even, I haven't even seen Aquaman yet. It's, it's in my, it's in my, my queue over here, but I haven't, 
Oh, it should be in, it should be in permanent buffer. We'll agree uh-huh. with that. <laughs> so um, <laughs> that's the trench prequel, right? <laughs> It is. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, well, but I mean, you know, it's when I think back on the first Wonder Woman film, I mean, I really liked a lot of it. And then the third act went um, went very generic with its big, bad uh, final sequence. And so it felt like even Patty Jenkins loses control to the executives. Um, but uh, anyway, so I'm optimistic. Well, I think, I think, but I think they'll have to follow the master script. I mean, no, they're not going to let anybody go off the farm. And uh, right. Yeah. So. yeah. They're not going to let this movie go without a big, bad to beat up yeah <laughs> so, because it's got to be better than what they came up with for justice league <sighs> yeah so um oh no it wasn't steppenwolf who was it that they said he was dark Aries? side no who was it in the in the first wonder woman film it was steppenwolf's agent oh, right aries yeah, yeah. or well, it was aries it was aries yeah it doesn't yeah. matter i liked him much better when he was in his previous form and i actually would have enjoyed him if he just stayed that way even in the final <laughs> battle right yeah Newless, yeah. Newless, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, but, uh, but going back to the tra- the poster, though, what I really like about it is um, the it's very in your face. I don't think it's as eighties as people are saying. Oh, it's very eighties because it's an eighties story. But to me, it's very it's much more subversive and interesting than just um, a uh, retro themed image, right? Like I love how all of the kaleidoscoping colors are forming the W's. Mm-hmm. Um, that are surrounding her and it's really choppy and kind of urgent and I really love the the boldness in which they embrace her golden armor that she will wear at least at some portion in that movie yeah. because other projects would have saved that for either it would either have happened in the film or as is the case with the Marvel stuff it would have been revealed through the overabundance of trailers and <laughs> feature well, leading into yeah, that. Or, I mean, it could be a couple of things. They could be doing an homage with the artwork, right? And they yeah. could say the reflected light created the gold armor and not actually the gold armor. So I thought they had an out there. But it's... Um, I, I like she it. She did have that gold... She right. had that gold armor in the comics. I mean, I, I'm, yeah. I think they'll go there. I just thought it was really... It was very bold to put mm-hmm. it out there on the poster and out, a year before the, the film was even out and say... Yeah. Well, <laughs> We're sticking a flag in here, yeah, and yeah, going for yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. exactly, exactly. Um, and this is kind of a cheat, I think, uh, because I'm not rolling for it. But we have to discuss Batman because. Oh my god! No, so really? So okay, how do you feel about it? <laughs> no, well, I just so, I, I feel like uh, the saga continues. Uh, so, and so I have nothing in opposition to the replacement, but I just. Uh, it's just yet again this whole thing of churn in the DC universe where you had what mm-hmm. uh, none in the Marvel universe. So it's uh, it, I also think that's a big tell. But anyway, it, it is. But at the same time, though, and and I've said this many times before on this show, I'm happy to watch different actors and different um, filmmakers have interpretations of these characters, and it's like it's very multiversal to me. I don't care. I don't care. I can watch these side by side, um, just like I can still the Nolanverse stuff is over here, and then the Justice League stuff's over there. But yep. I'm more optimistic. Said, I'm more optimistic than I have been in a long time about this choice. I think with, he's, Robert, with Robert Pattinson. Yes, I think he's okay. interest. I think he's interesting to look at. I think he does interesting work well beyond what he's more famous for in his youth, and um, and I think he's going to have. I think he has a combination of of charm and uh, and maybe a little bit of 
sort of darker mystery to him or a little bit of trouble. And I think that's a good mix for someone who's playing the guy that is or isn't Bruce Wayne, right? Like I, we like when when Vale was doing the Nolan films, you know, we talked at the time about how, you know, he was playing Bruce Wayne just like he was pl- like the guy in the movie was playing being Bruce Wayne and playing being Batman and he was some middle ground. Um, which I thought was an interesting approach, but in this case, Patterson, I can see, I can visualize him as really a guy trying to trying to be both things and believing he is. I can see him pulling. I can see the actor um, attempting that. Does that make sense? I talked myself into a circle. No, it does. It's just uh, I think. I- <laughs> Bale very clearly, Bale very clearly was not playing Bruce Wayne or Bat. His character in the film was not Bruce Wayne or Batman. Oh, no, no, it was I'm a, yeah, but, but, it was but a gray not... man who was neither of those things and pretending to be those things. And I yeah, think yeah. Patterson were... might be it. Huh? Well, I, I think they were personifications of the amorphous gray, and they were mm-hmm. both like his schizophrenia. So right. I thought, I thought, I thought it was an interesting approach. I loved it, but I'm saying in this case, I see Patterson. I can, um, I can conceive of him being a guy really trying to be a Bruce, a Bruce Wayne trying to be Batman or a Batman trying to hold on to the Bruce Wayne. Do you know what I mean? Right. Like, I, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I I, it looks different. He looks different to me. It looks like, but I'm also, I'm in, I'm inspired by the fact that it's a younger, he's not these days. He's not super young, right? He's thirties, but I'm, I'm inspired by the fact that he's a younger actor who's being um, set up in a, film or series of films by a new director who's younger and they're taking a fresh approach to it. I'm not super thrilled with the cavalcade of supposed villains that are going to be in it, but, the, but it doesn't really matter. All, they're saying all the right things, right? Detective, the, the bat, you know, the great detective yeah, yeah. and a noirish, noirish influence and, you know, these kinds of things. And I just like that they cast someone a little bit younger if they can keep this guy from imploding under the stress of this. Um, that means that we could see him grow over time. It's kind of like what they did with uh, Tom Holland, right? They mm-hmm. cast a really good, a really good fit that was young, and is, and especially befits that character. But you know, if he does, if 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 this goes well and it goes as he claims he's in for, you know, you could be seeing you know twenty years of Tom Holland in that role the way we saw Robert Downey Jr. Mm-hmm. Agree. So I think I think that's a good thing. Whereas when they cast Bat, you know, um, <laughs> Ben Affleck as Batman. There's no one that was looking at that, that saying, well, sure, he's going to do 10 films or whatever, right? <laughs> if he does, if, uh, the world's gone to shit. Yeah, I mean, the Half-Life was on the wall even before it was, you know, I don't know. And honestly, even, I, even, I honestly... Even before, even before it was a jack-in-the-box right through run before the Insane Asylum. Yeah, that's, yes, uh, yeah. yes. And I actually think if you were to take uh, Justice League away from it and you just look at ha- what happened in his performance in... Batman v Superman. I think that there was a lot of goodwill towards him as being like, well, he was that was a difficult script and it wasn't great and didn't make any sense and everything else. But he looked good and he sounded good and he seemed to take it seriously. So if the next project had been a solo Batman film that was good, he might have stuck around longer, despite him being older and maybe kind of tired of this shit. Yeah, I think it was the it was the triple dog of, of how he, you know. He was just raked over the coals over this, and then Suicide Squad, and then Justice League. I think he just was like, "I don't. It's not worth it. Who cares?" <laughs> right? Yeah, I agree. Sad, sad fleck in the video. Sad fleck, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Downward spiral. <laughs> yeah. I mean, talk about a 
talk about it like a prescient uh, image that was, right? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. I, I just uh, I have my own baggage with Robert Pattinson and my my. What are they? Oh, Twilight. That's it. That's it. Uh, so you watch those movies? Yeah. Did your wife watch them? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> are those related in any way? I'm not saying anything. <laughs> <laughs> I saw the first one, I think. And I feel like I'm just, I only have um, sort of an osmotic awareness of the others, right? Like I know the yeah. other dude, I know the other dude, and then he's the ripped werewolf guy and some of the other characters, but I only saw the one, I think. So do you carry yeah, that same it, negative it, stigma? It, to, what? Oh, yes, yes. Yeah, absolutely, I do. To, towards bias. Towards what's her name? No, Robert Pattinson. Just but how, how do you feel about Kristen Stewart, though? Same? No. Because I think she's a better actor. Ah, <laughs> uh, interesting. Yeah. I was surprised. I was the last person on the planet to realize this, but I was surprised that Patterson was in Harry Potter because I came to the Harry Potter stuff yeah. late, waiting for the kids to age into it. So when he was but so when he was in the film as Diggory, Diggory, uh, I was... Um, is it Diggory? I, I doubt myself. Handsome, handsome, yeah. su- super rad, uh, charming guy uh, at the school. When he, when he was in that, I was really surprised because I didn't know he was in it. And then when he uh, when he died, I kind of forgot that happened in the book. <laughs> so, <laughs> I was like, this is really impressive. Really bold for Patterson to take this risk and then uh, allow himself to be killed off. And then I was like, oh, wait, this is pre-Twilight. Pre, yes. Oh, yeah. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. Well, that's you decent, can always get you, you can always get worse. <laughs> yes, um, but I, I always I think it is a, bet, a step up from um, Batfleck, but I still have my reservations. But I'll be open to outcome. Yes, you're open to outcome. Is there any other uh, DC specific news item that you want to touch on before we randomize again? Well, I think David Tennant as the Riddler, I think, is talking about the same exact film. Is that one that you objected to? Because I thought it was brilliant. Uh, has that been confirmed? Yeah. When? Today. <gasps> David Tennant is the Riddler. Yeah. Uh, did anything else? Any, any other context in this? And yet, anything else was revealed today, or just that? Uh, so the the, the, the Matt Reeves highly anticipated Batman film starring Pattinson is expected to feature a rogues gallery of villains, including Catwoman okay. and the Penguin. Even the rhythm yeah. himself, yep. Okay, so it's still the menagerie. Right. Yep. I mean, they can do that. I mean, they could do a menagerie film. I think one of those other scripts was him being stuck at Arkham Asylum and having to fight his way out of all of his enemies, which, again, much oh. like uh, Batman v Superman, isn't earned, right? So you're like, well, <laughs> you know, only fans of comics would even know who all these people were. But, uh, yeah, okay. All right. So, that's, so he's the first official, uh, or he's the second... Actor to be officially confirmed for the no no but I object, uh, I apologize for it. this is heroic Hollywood and it's one of those fanzine things so it's totally ah uh, okay yeah you've wasted my time and my I energy know. I know I'm sorry there's a lot of that out there though it's hard to you know fake news yeah <laughs> yeah to uh, roll with the punches to get to what's real right Blake? indeed indeed so uh, I will say though that tenant as anything is a good choice. Because he's still, um, I, I wasn't much of a Doctor Who guy, but man, him on Jessica Jones, 
that was profound. I thought yeah, he did such a great job. It was. So yeah, I would allow him. I would be t- completely open to that casting. Now that said, um, as a quick aside, did you did you watch the uh, the Angel Devil Neil Gaiman show that he recently did? Yeah, uh, and I found his character to be the most enjoyable. Yeah. Okay. But is it not? It's not as good as its promise. It's not as good as it promised. No, but I tell you, you're much better spent spending your time uh, watching dark instead of. Ah, okay. Well, th- well, okay. All right. We'll get to that. I'm not going to listen to you until it's the right time to talk about that. Well, in Stranger um, Things, of course. Yes. Okay. Yes. But anyway. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, uh, okay, I'm going to roll again in the Marvel category. Are you ready? Yes. Aha. Well. Um, not really surprising. I landed on the Eternals. So how do you feel about this Eternals project? <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I hope it's as good as uh, the Watchmen reboot. But yeah, there you go. I'll leave it at that. Um, hey, the Watchmen reboot, has that started yet? No. No, no, no. But, uh, but, but I have middling expectations for both enterprises. So that's, that's where I'm coming down on my instinct on Eternals is the same as I had with Guardians, right? I didn't read Guardians, and it seemed like such a weird-ass thing for them to do, and I had no optimism on it. And then as it as it slowly unfurled itself, I was very quickly um, corrected and then became a super fan of, of the risk. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I have to give it to them. The problem I have is that um, if I was uninterested in the Guardians in the comics when I was reading comics as a kid... I was especially uninterested in the Eternals, right? <laughs> like the Eternals just felt felt like such a desperate gasp for Kirby bringing the same toys over. I just was not interested at all. The designs didn't interest me. Only one of the designs interested me, but I mean, in general, it just seemed really boring. And the it's so deep in in Marvel mythology as far as like origins of the species kind of thing that they have to do a lot to, um, on paper, they'd have to do a lot to make this interesting to to uh, to me as a comic reader. They're not working to make me impressed, though. <laughs> and no, the other not. thing they're is, <laughs> they were able to take something as wackadoo as Guardians, which I would have thought, and I did think, there was no way you were going to be able to convince a mainstream viewer that this makes any sense at all, right? And they just rolled right in with bravado and confidence with James Gunn and just completely owned it and mainstream audiences were the first to pick up on how great it was. Yep. So, you know, they can do that with Eternals. I'm the one with the bias that says Eternals are lame. But uh, you know what? Fuck, man. Gotta be open it's outcome. all about the approach. It's the approach they take, right? You gotta be open to outcome. I'm, yeah, I'm trying to be open to outcome. I'm a lot more open to the outcome if Keanu Reeves is really ends up on this cast. I don't know if that really happens, but if it does. Right. Well, but again, it depends on who. I'd rather yeah. they, they save him for some uh, something more dark and sinister as a crossover point, but you know I don't think they would ever do that. That's interesting. Um, but looking at some of the people, I mean, the cast that's already been confirmed for this film, though, you can't a, you can't fault any of them. It's just it's hard to imagine how this is. It's it's fun to imagine how they're going to pull it off, but it's really it's really murky to me. They're going to yeah, pair Angelina Jolie with uh, Kumail Nanjiani and Salma and Hayek, and, and, Hayek. Hayek and, yeah. Richard Mad- and Richard Madden. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what is even... So, yeah, it's exciting. It, it is exciting. I don't know. We'll, we'll, be, po- we'll be positive. Yeah, I, just just, wish, uh, I just wish I liked the Eternals more. There are so many Marvel properties that I would love to see them take on. 
So I'm like, no, you're going in a direction I don't want you to go. But, but, I'm, then again. but, but I'm so grateful that they're not <laughs> trying to do the Punisher again as a movie. Yeah. Or yeah. Ghost Rider. I mean, at least they're going... I think they're going in the right direction, which is this blending of sci-fi and superheroes, right? I think, obviously, right. it's a safe bet. Right. You combine Star Wars and Marvel. And, uh, yeah, the, uh, good things happen. So, we'll see. We'll see. All right, I'm going to roll in the miscellaneous category. Miscellaneous news. Aha. All right. So, Hans Zimmer confirmed working with uh, Villeneuve again, just like he did with Blade Runner. Uh, for the Dune soundtrack, so that's hot as hell, right? It is. Um, I buy anything I, with Zimmer's name on it, so I'm already there. But I'm excited about it. Yeah, I just uh, uh, I hope it looks good and it sounds good. Yes, um, I, I really like all of Zimmer's stuff, but I also think it would be interesting if a uh, if a sweeping uh, fantasy epic like this had someone like. Johan Johansson before he died. So an approach like that that is a lot murkier and and uh, and and sort of understated and subtle in it, right? Because we know what we're going to get from Zimmer generally, and I like that formula, but it is somewhat formulaic at this point. Um, whereas I've been going through the back catalog of Johan Johansson, for example, after he died, and and he bounced around. There's a there's yeah. quite a bit of different different stuff that he was playing with. I don't, you know, I don't know. I don't know. If there's a, necessarily a lot of mystery in what um, attaching Zimmer to a, a sweeping film like this would be, but I, at least I know I like generally their product. So, yeah, no, it's, I think it's a good match. But I actually think the um, I wouldn't point to the Blade Runner soundtrack to point that out. I would point it out to Arrival. Mm-hmm. Right. I was checking if no, not the same guy though. That's my point. It's, it's not Hans yeah. Zimmer, yeah, but yeah, I'm right. I'm hoping that given the director's experience sure. and how to film something like The Arrival, which to me was so much more powerful and compelling than uh, a lot of aspects of 2049, um, I'd hope that they'd had that same kind of synergistic vision that you'd come to see with the sound and visual guys. So that would be my yeah. only hope. Yes. Well, I still hold the arrival as um I mean it's it's in my top five, right? <laughs> like yeah. the, the the way that the music and and we still have to do a whole episode on on music and how it's completely defines the you know, it's intrinsic to the the finished product, but um that's way up there for me. Because I can I listen to that soundtrack if not every day, every other day. I mean yeah. so yeah, yeah. <laughs> um the arrival and annihilation and frankly blade runner still and then a few others are just on constant repeat for me i just uh annihilation is uh, the, the last 10 minutes of that were just so awesome and overwhelming it, it was the, uh, I, I would say it was right up there with uh, the end of 2001 totally right in the film wow. and in the music yeah yep. absolutely absolutely um uh you know thinking about um zimmer and and kind of moving outside the box with a trusted uh colleague this same colleague there's a lot of hope if you consider interstellar right because mm-hmm. his 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 work with interstellar and all those organs and everything i mean I've, it's another one of my absolute go-to soundtracks and it yeah. absolutely defi- it's absolutely defines the tone of that movie so um, okay, so anyway, it's going to be awesome. Yeah, I just hope, I just hope that Dennis can pull Dune off. I just well, he's got Josh Brolin and Jason Momoa. What could go wrong? 
<laughs> no, and Dave Bautista. And Dave Bautista, that's right. Yeah, yeah. So it's a whole rogues gallery of, uh, yeah, folks. Um, you know, speaking of Nolan, so this is a cheat because it's, I didn't roll for it, but, you know, he's got this mystery film uh, that he's working on, and I'm totally stoked for this thing. I mean, I already would be. But when 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 favorite creators are start talking about new new projects, I always have this part of me that's going, "Oh, please don't, you know, <laughs> please don't do like uh, you know, like the Coen Brothers have done that to me, where it's like the new project is, and I'm like, oh, what, you know?" But um, everything I've read about the the new Nolan mystery project, it sounds uh, like I'm going to love it. Yeah, I, I I haven't read that much about it, but I just worry he's trying to out Cameron Cameron. Out Cameron, Cameron. How so? Just uh, doing the genre bending uh, mm-hmm. nomenclature, right? Um, okay. But John David Washington, Robert Pattinson, uh, Elizabeth Debicki, and uh, it's interesting. Interesting to think of Pattinson joining a Nolan project at the same time he's joining a Batman project. Yeah, so I was going to bring that up. It's like, <laughs> what is going on? <laughs> the way- they have a preferred list of providers, and they don't go with anybody else. <laughs> One of the notes I put regarding the future Nolan film was, I wish we'd never get a trailer. Because it really is true. Because I'm too... I can't stay away from them when they put them out, but then I'm frustrated, and we're going to talk about that in our feature. Um... But uh, I'm reaching a point where, with trusted creators, I really don't want to see. I would love to not know or see anything hmm. um, before going in. I would have loved to have not seen anything about Inception before I saw Inception. Yeah. Like, can, you, can you imagine? I mean, like I, like when I remember watching Inception the first time and thinking, I really wish I hadn't seen the city folding on itself in the trailer. That would have been all real. Like what? <laughs> you know, in the in the seat. If I hadn't seen that coming. Yeah, you, you want to be titillated, right? Yeah. In the theater. You don't want the full spectrum engagement. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, yeah. Um, whereas certain projects like... Um, uh, uh, what was the Alex Garland one? Um, Ex Machina. Um, I knew virtually nothing about that project. I kept myself dark on it, and then I went into it blind in Jakarta, by the way, in the dark like one in the morning and I was like well this is fucking amazing <laughs> I had no idea it was going to go the direction it did so sometimes yeah. it works but it has to be a small enough project like that that they don't have the marketing budget to hit you over the head with it in in every aspect of your living life yeah yeah that's right alright and then I'm going to do I'm going to do one random roll in the trailer section uh, Jumanji 2 the next level did you see this <laughs> no <laughs> I have are you kidding did I'm you know it existed? It, no. no. Hmm. So, did you think I was kidding? <laughs> I thought you were kidding. <laughs> okay. Do you want to yeah, the it, next level? Oh, no, it yeah. exists. Yeah, it came out um, last week, and uh, I don't. I guess I won't talk about it too much because it is kind of fun to to, to see even the the basic premise of it once it unfolds in the trailer. But um, I will say that they play with the concept of putting a person or like an actor in the body of someone totally different and playing that for laughs and they go in a completely different direction than they did the first time I mean the other character the characters are there but the direction they take in this in this new one looks to be um, uh, kind of refreshing 
because it seemed like it had the potential to just be more of the same, which to some degree is fine, and then some degree is like, well, why are you doing this? Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I'll I won't say anything more about it. You need to watch it yourself, and then. Okay. But uh, but anyway, um, it's a thing that exists, and I'm excited for it because my kids really like that Jumanji. And that means I can watch Ruby yeah. Roundhouse as much as I want. Agreed. Um, okay. Uh, and then uh, let's see. I'll do one final roll in the Star Wars section, and then I think <laughs> that'll be it. We have barely touched the Star Wars section in like. Are you, are you are you just pulling these out and just rolling the dice for the sound effect and then just no. them? okay no I've assigned okay. numbers to everything okay okay all right here we go and that's a really lame one. <laughs> If that if that doesn't tell you that it's not orchestrated, uh, okay. Um, all right. Call well, Mulligan. It's, Call it's, Mulligan. It's, no, no. Okay. Well, it's it's last Jedi related. Okay, but it wasn't the latest hubbub. It's it was an earlier hubbub. Um, not last Jedi. Um, Skywalker. Yeah, Skywalker. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So, Rise of Skywalker. So I keep thinking that maybe that Rise of Skywalker, that Skywalker is going to be a new order. Can we talk about that before. We have talked about that before, but okay. But but I I actually think it's going to be I don't, I don't know I always am still pulling for her to be the hybrid or the predecessor or progenitor uh, through the Palpatine line of the Skywalker line. I want them to right. all turn out to be like one bad marriage, <laughs> right? Right, and just some really screwed up dynasty that uh, is has a congenital birth defect. Um, yep. so. <laughs> I do like the idea that she, I mean, I don't know. The, the reason I said, oh, lame is that we've talked about, we've already talked before about the, the what ifs about, you know, cloning and reincarnation and how, and them now doubling down and confirming Palpatine's coming back and all this other crap. I don't know. I really, yeah. I mean, come on. I really want to just see this blind and they're not going to let me, but, um, I would not be disappointed at all if they never told us what her origins are, because I don't care. And then also, I would not be disappointed if she was a Palpatine of some kind. Yeah. Or a Kenobi. I don't know why we've gotten off the Kenobi train. It's been bouncing around between being a Skywalker and a, and a, and a Palpatine, but... Yeah, no, you're right. Uh, the... I mean, it's interesting to contemplate that, right? Because then it yeah. really... It really Or, I don't know, some Yoda. <laughs> <laughs> Hybrid, um, but um, I agree. It would be nice to see it blind because I still remember uh, the Empire Strikes Back. Right, Luke, I'm your father. That being completely out of the blue right. and totally by surprise, and it was totally devastating. Right. So, right. Yeah. Right. 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 Well, yeah. I mean, so because I've been backsliding into all of this extend not extended universe, but this other Star Wars content that I, I didn't have access to before. Um, having watched the the two animated series that Chris won't let me talk about on the pod, um, and then did you watch those? By the way, Clone Wars no. and, uh, and no, Rebels. Really? I'm not. No. Uh, I'll leave it at it's worth watching. Um, that said, I've also been reading some of the or listening to anyway some of the better novelization material, and one of the things that I have found enjoyable for everything that people complain about something like the solo film where it was a, a series of of fan gimmies of references to things. One of the things I have liked in some of the background material is showing you more detail into sort of the nuance into why things are conflicts that become bigger later and how they have seeds and things. And I'm reading or listening to a 
Star Wars book called uh, Master and Apprentice. So it's the same uh, writer, Claudia Gray, who did um, uh, uh, Birth, uh, whatever, the, the, the Princess Leia one. I can't remember the name now right now. General Leia one. Am I making any sense? Probably yes, I just don't, I don't. I don't have any context to put them in. So go, go. Okay. Go. Um, okay. So uh, Claudia Gray wrote a um, novel that's set after the Battle of Jakku and prior to um, the Force Awakens, right? And it's about uh, Leia in the Senate and happenings that lead to the slow um, collapse of the New Republic prior to the First Order taking over. So First Order doesn't exist yet in the book, but it's a thing. Anyway, so Claudia Gray wrote this book. It's very, it's Leia-centric. It's first first person. And, uh, and, and I thought it was okay. It planted the seeds for things. It wasn't great to me compared to what people said about it, but um, it planted some interesting concepts about the uh, political background and the you know, it's just sort of the context that would allow the First Order to to come about. And all the things that we were just handed in Force Awakens that felt very cyclical, the, they're starting to build the framework of how we got there. And that I find very interesting. So anyway, Master and Apprentice, which is a book that takes place prior to Phantom Menace, has uh, Qui-Gon Jinn in his 40s and uh, Obi-Wan as a 16-year-old. And the tension between them and their differing... Uh, um, sort of ideologies and uh, friction with and issues with Kaigon Jin versus the Jedi Council, and then there's a lot of so far anyway flashback stuff with Dooku, who's a cool guy with a terrible name. Um, it's been really good about planting the seeds of things that are wrong with the Jedi Order, and uh, and also how we would get to a point where a guy like Kaigon Jin in Fan- in Phantom Menace would just suddenly run around going. There's prophecy. There's the chosen one, and it was just out of the blue. Um, this shows how he sort of came. It's showing how he came to this kind of thinking that goes back thousands of years, and it's not just this suddenly new thing. It's a sort of a band line of philosophy in the Jedi Order that they don't study. They don't study vision quests and stuff anymore. That's the old days kind of thing, and he's bringing it back a little bit. So um, I find all that stuff really interesting, and uh, it's been very entertaining. And so I think when we, the reason, I guess the reason I brought all this up is thinking about the Skywalker movie is, uh, I would be interested to see if her, whatever the, her relationship is with Kylo Ren and with the bigger overarching sort of Skywalker legacy. And more importantly, the Palpatine legacy, I would love if they went backwards with her and made her connected to some of the characters or some of the concepts that were only alluded to even in the prequels. And they push way far back. Because I think that yeah. would be an interesting approach because then they end this movie and they end this era of the story and then they could go and they can use that as the way to get to the old Republic and various other things, right? They could use her as the catalyst that, that brings audiences into other aspects of the Star Wars universe outside of the Skywalkers. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and, and that they need to diversify the product line. Yeah. Right, right. But at the same time, I didn't care if she was just nobody, if he was right. <laughs> like, yeah. That's fine, too. That's totally fine, too. And and partly the problem I have is we see how the sausage is made to some degree, and it influences how I enjoy the story, unfortunately. Like, I know that 
there's not a story team that was consistent all the way through, right? We know mm-hmm. that J.J. Abrams planted these seeds, and then Ryan Johnson said, nope, I'm going to go this way. And now Abrams is like, how about I just go, <laughs> how about we course correct and go back here? And so, you know, knowing that, it's sort of like knowing, uh, you know, how Vader wasn't supposed to be his dad and all that stuff. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I can enjoy the finished product, but the process is equally interesting and it's very different. Yeah, yeah. Agreed. All right, so there you go. Um, I feel like I just didn't take advantage of Chris not being here to really spend a good two hours or so on each of these Star Wars animated projects, but I won't do it. Sorry, man. I won't do it. Just trust me when I tell you I could. I could do it. (laughs) It's not about how much we lost. It's about how much we have left. Where's the Avengers? We gotta finish this. All right, so it's time for our main event. What do you think? Time for the main event. I agree. The robot reviews. So we thought that we would talk about two films that are connected but are some distance apart in the theater but that we have somehow not talked about on the show yet. Um, and largely that's due to schedule. But um, we wanted to talk about Avengers Endgame. And then we also wanted to talk about a film called uh, Spider-Man Far From Home. And I think we should do that in that order. But I think at this point, fortunately, fortunately for us, we don't have to be particularly exhaustive about Endgame because it's been talked about to death. But I think it's important to talk about it in context related to this new film. Yeah, and, and what it portends, right? Because I think right. it's, a, it, it's a good... Um, well, well, we'll take it one step at a time. I'll save my comments until we get to that. Uh, I think... Um, I mean, it's hard because we were hoping that um, Chris could get in here and, and talk about Endgame. And, and at this point, uh, it, it does not sound like he has been able to do so. Um, but but if he does get around to it, we'll do a um, we'll do one of our uh, rum fuel or uh, run through reconsideration, <laughs> the run through reconsideration segment. Nice and easy. Um, and we'll just revisit it with him. Um, but I will say this, uh, it, for all of the impact that Endgame had, I mean, it just hit like a, it was like the dragon bursting through the wall, right? Uh, Indeed, yeah. At, at the time, it was all about how it was a culmination of all these stories and an end cap to this whole era of their storytelling. But as uh, as Spider-Man shows and is opening, sort of, sort of showing the way towards you know, this path that they're taking, it's, it, it creates as many questions as it answered. And it, and it left, it leaves the, the MCU in an environment where there are new stories to tell. And I think that, um, I think Spider-Man was interesting in that regard. Absolutely. I thought, uh, Endgame did a lot of great things, uh, on top of just being one of the, uh, one of the most powerful movies of the superhero genre ever. Um, and I think it, it gave them a lot of freedom moving forward. They didn't have to live by any arc or any team or any structure that they had done up to that point. So they kind of wrapped things up and then uh, let the loose threads go, which I thought was right. a really, right. really great move. And especially the reformulation with Guardians, like make that more relevant. What the hell is going to happen to the Hulk? You right. know, they, 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 they left a lot of just open questions out there about what next. And, oh, by the way, a new Captain America, just right. as a, for instance, yeah. Right, right. One that's going to really chap the hide of a good percentage of the audience. 
who are not necessarily the comic reading audience and also who have um, expectations about what should or shouldn't be under the shield, I guess. But I think that's great. Yeah, yeah. But, so, I, yeah, but, but I, think, I think that was just phage, <coughs> you know, bowing and, and nodding to the, the, you know, what got them to this point. But then also saying they're going to be really bold in what they do next. I think so, too. Uh, yeah. It was, I mean, it was a, it was sort of a masterclass in how do you make all these moving parts uh, work effectively and give everybody a certain amount of screen time and then make it feel organic enough that it doesn't feel like you're watching a, um, you know, the well-orchestrated final act of a TV movie, right? Like, it felt, it yeah. felt, it felt um, natural. Um, yeah. I think Endgame felt more natural than... Um, Infinity War. Really? Hmm. Uh, in the sense that I watched Infinity War now three times. My takeaway off the first one was that I felt it was disjointed because I knew I felt like I knew where they were going and how they how they bounced bounced the ball around to get there um, was almost felt like stalling um, to me. But then in the second and third viewings, I was able to enjoy more of the nuance of it. Mm-hmm. But. And so I like it a lot more now. But that said, and I liked it a lot then too, right? But just in terms of its staying power, right? Uh, but but on, but then, um, and I've only seen Endgame once, and I know you've seen it a million times already. Doing your best to get them over the get them over the line, right? But, I do. Uh, I do really want to see them uh, beat uh, Avatar. But anyway, go ahead. That's an that's an interesting though. That is an interesting discussion though. That people are saying, oh, you know, it shouldn't. Don't let it eclipse uh, Avatar because Avatar was an original product and, you know, nothing like that. No original product had been that big ever. And I'm like, it's not really. It's Fern Gully. So don't tell me that it's an original product. <laughs> right. And, and the, it's Cyber Fern Gully. Yeah. No, the, <laughs> I think when you get close to something, it becomes kind of this friendly competition. And Avatar had a re release. You go back to what right. they did to get right. it to where it was. Right. Right. I think they actually did a an extended edition and a re-release at the holidays right. just about to crap right. one more on a long run. Um, so With $1,000 tickets. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, get, get that weak-ass shit out of here. It's like, I don't... And also... On, don't let it also, to Avatar. Are any of these... Is anyone really saying that Avatar was a good film? People really uh, hyped... The people really hyped on it for the experience part of it. It was definitely an experience film. But was it a good film? I don't think it was. I don't think yeah. Avatar was art by any stretch. Like I say, it's cloning two or three other storylines, and and its big thing was that they did 3D in an interesting way and found an excuse oh, no. to uh, make it look good. No, it was Fern Gully with Dances with Wolves. Yes, I mean that. Uh, yes, yes. That, that, and apparently some Krypton. <laughs> but I will say, I will say, it was a mind-boggling spectacle. It was at Maybe the time, especially time, right? in context. It yeah. was yes, yes. So, so I'll uh, I'll give him a solid prop for that because that was a that was something different. That somebody putting it together to that scale and seeing it at that level of resolution was pretty remarkable. But the the story itself uh, was definitively formulaic, but um, very compelling nonetheless. <laughs> Uh, although it was, it was it, there. It's its approach to VR and and uh, the idea of of sending him into the Avatar world or whatever as a uh, as yeah. you know you know all that stuff was was um, was handy as a narrative device to bring the audience into an immersive world as a as a film. So I thought that was clever. It worked. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but uh, I think the last time I thought of Avatar and thought about its significance, I remember thinking that the arguments in favor of Avatar being great <laughs> are the arguments that are in favor of Iron Man being great. And the difference between the two is that Iron Man is a pretty fucking amazing movie, regardless of whether you like Iron Man. As Correct. a bold for, as a bold first step in the MCU, it's astonishing. And when Chris and I, like even uh, not that long ago, uh, some some I don't know seven or eight episodes ago, we did a thing where we attempted to um, name the uh, you know the, the our, our our favorite or the most important uh, or the best MCU films. And part of the problem is you've got you've got stuff like the Winter Soldier or Civil War where you're like, oh, I love the storytelling and I love the style, or Black Panther or something. But the bottom line is, it's easy to it's easy to 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 understate the importance of not only how good a film Iron Man was, but how bold it was and how well, yeah. And, so and and it legitimized the Marvel yeah, approach. Yeah. Uh, and you know no other movie and I guess you know one of the the Hulk movies is considered the first of the MCU uh, retroactively it's bullshit though well but but I mean when you look at you look at the MCU on IMDB right the, yeah. the, that's the first one but it's one. still bullshit it's yeah. still bullshit yeah but uh, so up to that point you know the, the whole reboot everything else um, and what Beige was trying to accomplish I think Iron Man proved that it wasn't a it wasn't a joke that this is for real and you can make a lot of money off of this and so I think it uh, you know up to that point Marvel had had some hit and miss successes sure. outside of the X-Men franchise and you know then granted all of them entirely out of but but all of them through other studios and yeah. you know not and, them holding the keys and Spider-Man right but, um, yeah. but the but the MCU reboot was really I think launched with Iron Man and yeah. you are a, it is taken for granted in a lot of ways but what, yeah, so what I'm saying is that the things that everyone holds Avatar to as being, a, you know how important it was to this for better or worse to the big budget, um, to yeah, the yeah. whole cinema experience and and all these things they apply to Iron Man as well. And the difference being if you go back and rewatch Avatar today versus if you go back and watch Iron Man, you're going to be entertained by Iron Man and Avatar is going to have, you know, whiskers on it, whiskers on it, it's steel from the. Uh, it's yeah, dancing with, with the Coen brothers. Yeah, it dancing with the Gullies. Yeah. So anyway, okay. Well, so uh, anyway, the thing about um, Endgame and how I felt it was even more natural than the path of Infinity War is thinking about because I have to sometimes I watch these films and I and and I'm judging it by you know, how much does this feel like a role playing game campaign, right? And and that's not necessarily a bad thing, but a lot of times it does feel that way. Um, a lot of Infinity War felt like it was a series of side quests and main quests and led up to a big, big thing. Um, and the pairings and splitting people apart and the things that they were doing didn't feel sometimes as organic as it could be. It was almost um, to do it, but not necessarily needed to be done. And sometimes it worked really well and sometimes it felt more forced. It was really great. But when it comes to Endgame, though, the paradigm of saying well, we're going to go back and we're going to mess with things um, and using it as a as from the narrative structure using it as a means to go back and revisit all these different moments in MCU history but also in the viewers nostalgia for these movies and then fiddling with them I thought felt really natural and brilliant way of handling this film okay 
I, I, I guess I just would view it as they, the, the Russo brothers knew the full arc. We only knew half of yeah. it, and that's why it felt yeah. disappointed. Yeah. Right? Because things, because things that seemed totally arbitrary in Infinity War um, became deadly right. in Pivotal Series sure. in Endgame, right? So, For sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Did you... Um... Like Rocket and Thor, right? I thought that, and Groot, I thought that was totally arbitrary. And uh, and then it turns then, out to be absolutely pivotal, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you like the structure of going back and having to revisit and then try to steal the stones from all these different times in history? I loved it for nothing else other than for them to poke the, uh, a stick in the eye of all time travel movies before it. Um. <laughs> I do feel like Endgame has... has Suffered some in trying to maintain its um, the rationale for some of the lo- internal logic of the film. Like I think that once the new car smell wore off, there were a lot of questions about the choices that it didn't. It's not bulletproof, but it has enough of verisimilitude where you're like, well, okay, I'll give it to you. And yeah, when they and, and when they talk about time travel films and their idiocy while doing a lot of the things that they were making fun of, I actually kind of thought that was clever. <laughs> Yeah, I thought that they, exactly. That's why I, I enjoyed it. But it was also hilarious when uh, Thanos could suddenly time travel a fleet. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. I was. I remember thinking, does it scale? Does it make sense? How did he do this? And how quick can he scale it? And if it's so hard to come by, why? yeah. Yeah, there were some questions there. Um, yeah. The uh, a lot of my notes for Endgame are answered in Spider Man. Yeah. Which is what we loved about it. It definitively answered a number of things, uh, more or less, that we wondered about in terms of the internal logic of how Endgame's uh, snappity snaps worked. So, yeah, for yeah. example, I had written, our snapbacks, these are some um, scurvy scribbles here for you. I had written, our snapbacks, forward in age, same age, lost experiences, what of the remarried, suicides, broken relationships. And so, of course, we haven't... Um, we haven't touched on that in a serious way in the Spider-Man movie, <laughs> yeah. but they are definitely confirming in, in Spider-Man spoilers, everyone, that yeah. people did show up five years later. Um, and, and, and their spouses have moved on. And yeah, well, right. Yeah. But, and they and they're returning at the same age they were. Yeah. Right. This is Mr. Beck. I could have used someone like you on my world. New world? Beck is from Earth, just not ours. The snap to our hole in our dimension. You're saying there's a multiverse? We have a job to do, and you're coming with us. There's got to be someone else you can use. What about Thor? Off-world. Captain Marvel. Unavailable. But I'm just a friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. Bitch, please, you've been to space. The blip, dude. I mean, like, how they came up with that. <laughs> All right, we're we're sliding into uh, Spider Man, but but I mean, but but the idea. So so in Spider Man, they don't show, they don't talk about necessarily some of the but, the the more serious implications of it, no, but, but they do establish but, the rules. No, but, the, but the way they did it for part of a high school news broadcast, oh, it's hilarious. <laughs> okay, it was just the best. But they did confirm. They did confirm that the people who were snapped back come back at the same age they were when they were snapped and everybody else has moved on in chronology so yeah. now you have an overlap um, and they and they play that to great effect in the Spider-Man film but it answered a lot of questions that we had which was good um, another thing 
um, I had written Multiverse versus Living Within the Timeline, Steve Rogers. Um, and then I wrote, is Mysterio bullshitting? Yes. <laughs> Guess what? <laughs> also, uh, um, this bullshit about super soldier DNA, Steve being in the main timeline, the sons of Peggy being his sons, all defies multiverse logic. And I think that's true. Because in the in, in the wake of Endgame being out for a while, there's been a lot of discussion. It's It's been an interesting sausage problem again, right? And I don't just mean the ass of America, but I mean the, the sausage casing problem. The creators have been taught, the writers have been talking about Endgame, and then the directors were talking about Endgame, and they didn't have their story straight. <laughs> so depending on who you talk to, they had slightly different uh, um, attitudes about what reality was in the movie. And one of, the, uh, one of those groups, maybe it was the writers, said that they felt that uh, Cap had gone back in time and lived a full life with Peggy, and that the un- unidentified people carrying her casket were all of her super soldier sons, <laughs> right? And I'm like, uh, I feel like maybe someone had a, a, a gym lit or two and we're reaching on that. Yeah, I, th- I would agree with that. I think, um, no. I think the bigger question with Steve Rogers is where's Molnir? But Right, yeah, very good, very good point, very good point. Yeah, but I mean, I, th- I don't know that I necessarily believe any of the creators at this point because I think that they've had so many recursive rounds of rationalizing the choices that they made that I don't I don't know that I believe any of them as being the right answer anymore right well, but, it's but sort of why, like it's, but, but it's sort of like Blade Runner hmm? it, it, it's their perspective on things that's all it is right. it's, right. I mean this is an absolute immutable truth right well this is well, it's like it's like our thing going into Blade Runner right it's like it doesn't really oh, matter yeah. <laughs> yeah it works either way yeah but I don't think that, I don't think there's anything definitive um so I, yeah, I, will I, mean, say this, I, I will say this: if you didn't watch Infinity War, Endgame had a suck. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. But there's no one on the planet that was in that scenario, so. Oh, um, not, I might know one very well. Yeah. No. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. And so, and she, but but she was only awake for 11 minutes, right? So did it matter? No, it's not going to matter anyway. But everything's everything is uh, everything She's in like, the we, superhero verse is not. <laughs> yeah. It's even shittier than usual. Yeah. Well, I mean, but is it okay? So, I mean, we're kind of jumping around. Everybody knows what Endgame was about, but I mean, we're kind of talking about some of the the ripples of Endgame, I guess. Um, but it is interesting. I don't. I'm not sure. I have a few. I'm not sure. I have a comfort level with a definitive answer to what happened to Steve Rogers in that story. Um, what What do you think it was, or how did you take it? Do you think that he lived through that whole timeline, or do you think he was in a alternate timeline and then came back over at that moment when he's old again, or what do you think it was? No, I'll have to go with the former, not the latter. I think it was just, um, he went back, lived a full life. I would say that all the super soldiers are sterile to begin with, so yep. I, was, yep. you know, I wouldn't worry about that problem. Yep. Um, so, But there's a real, there are real plot logic problems with the idea of him going back and living a full life in that timeline. Oh, the I, Steve I Rogers that we know, the Steve Rogers we know would never, the one that stands against Thanos and cracks his shield and does all his gritty grits would never have sat around through all the things that have happened in these decades without meddling and without being involved. And then there's this whole argument that, well, maybe he was involved in pushing things around, but not, but not demonstrably so. But, but I mean, well, what about Shield and Hydra, right? I right. mean, 
How, it's a classic well, one. How could he allow Hydra to be Hydra if but wait, he... But what, what, what if he actually... So let's go really dark and twisted here for a minute. What if he really is, when he said Hail Hydra, he actually meant it? Well, I know. That's the thing. Okay. Right? Okay. But that's... Okay. So that was a story in the comics that, that was really neat until... And then they didn't, they didn't end it well. But I love the idea taken to the MCU. I love the idea that Chris Evans is saying, I'm done. I'm done. I've done my role. I'm, I'm done. I'm moving, so, I'm moving on doing something else. And then we find that he comes back as an evil cap. I would love an evil cap. Yeah. I don't even so. need an angry mustache. Just give me an... <laughs> because, and, and that's the thing that I think would be absolutely fascinating is to have not necessarily the cap that shows up with the shield and hands it off, Mm-hmm. But that his behavior and his meddling with the time stream, him staying and doing what he did, broke things, and that leads to another reality. I don't know. Well, it's yeah. the, pro- the problem I mean, is, we'll, multi- yeah. Or, or, or you're setting the next Captain America up to just be a dismal failure and demolish the image of it, right? Well, that's the thing. If you take right. it, if you take it that direction and say that old Cap is actually an uh, an evil Cap. Yeah, possibly not even truly old, right? Because if he has a bit of of uh, cosmic cube, he could be messing with how he's vi- how he's seen and how he appears, right? So yep. he's handing off the shield, saying, "Here you go," and it's part of his Shaka. it's part of a process to do takeovers. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I, it would yeah. be interesting. I feel like they could go somewhere with it. Um, it does beg the question: Why is it so important to make <laughs> to make Falcon look bad? I don't know, but but, I, but there's seeds there. They've given themselves seeds that can make things interesting, and I would totally love to see an evil Cap uh, come out of this. Um, in the same way, kind of similar to the taste we got with Robert Redford in uh, in Winter Soldier, I yeah. loved that he because of the because of the actor's image and his. Um, sort of nostalgic place in cinema you you bought him longer than you should have in that film that first viewing yeah, yeah. right but yeah but, but you also know that, that there's a there's a malevolent element associated with aging in the marvel universe as well absolutely and daddy's right and daddy and, and cap is super daddy right yeah and uh but i the it's like it, I, you can easily make a claim that Marvel is completely predictable. That the closer you get to Social Security, the more evil you become. <laughs> I thought it was interesting that he had had a custom leather sleeve made for the shield when he yeah. handed it off. I thought that was dope. So there was some initially there was some some confusion on my part. Like I was trying to decide was did it make narrative sense for him to hand it off to uh, Falcon versus Bucky, given his history with Bucky and how much he had worked so hard to redeem him and prove his his value yeah. and that he think, doesn't I, hand it off. But but the, but the same flip side, I think Bucky is still tormented by all the you know, pain-based engineering and social modification that they did to him that even in the best of circumstances he would not well see that as, as well hmm. as Falcon could. Right? Well, okay, and so all right, so they've in in the last 15 years they've had both uh, you know, Fal- Falcon having a, a run at it and Bucky having a run at it. And my favorite arc of Captain America and my favorite creator run was the one that created the Winter Soldier and led to Captain America being assassinated and Bucky taking on the shield in his memory 
and struggling, really struggling to live up to the image and trying to be Steve Rogers and not being able to be and constantly in battle with himself about, you know, how do I live up to his image and his ideals when I'm so street level? Like, I'm so dirty. Like, I can't. It, it was really compelling watching him try to be this better version of himself, but at the same time, he carried his sidearm, right? Like, it was a really great, great arc. And so when you take it to the MCU, though, in the absence of Cap dying, it doesn't have that story. So in the yeah. MCU, Cap just handing it off to the next generation uh, idea, um, Bucky doesn't need it. Bucky has been redeemed. He did fight for everyone. They've already established that he was in Wakanda basically chilling and being mm-hmm. a good guy. So it doesn't... It, when he handed it off, I didn't feel like... My initial reaction was like, oh, you should have given that to Bucky. But then when I thought about the, the narrative of the MCU specifically, I was like, well, actually, he would give it to Falcon. Because Bucky yeah. has paid his dues and Falcon's still hot in it and is a very virtuous person in his eyes. And uh, and so it made sense. I think the more I thought about it, the more I liked the choice that they made. Yeah, Even so if it I is just, evil, evil cat so fucking he, with him. So here's, here's my big question in that, that whole arc moving forward is do they give him the super soldier serum right to, to make him you know not slower right than cat right. quote unquote right. right or what what are they going to do with that are they going to exploit that as a narrative weakness that they could really exploit for some really dramatic uh storytelling i think it's an interesting problem i think it is a very interesting problem because uh they have always you know unlike my own you know creator-owned projects, they have kept in the MCU the idea of a super soldier process or a serum to be a very well-kept secret that is not easily reproduced and has a lot of flaws and people try to reproduce it. And they made a whole point of that. Like, all of the end of Civil War was about that, right? So, well, even, even, but even in Iron Man, they yeah. touch upon that in 3, right? Oh, yeah, so, right. Yeah. So, if, so if they have the ability to, to, to juice them up, um, it starts to break that. And so, yeah, you're right. I, as much as I would love to see him have the kind of... Um, it's something I would miss. I loved, like, oh, Winter Soldier. I loved when he was uh, when he was doing, like, the Batroc run on the ship. Yeah, and he's, yeah, yeah, and he's just kicking He's just kicking guys right off the side of the ship, you know? Like, that physical power that he had was so much well, fun. And jumping out without a parachute. Yeah, <laughs> Number of course. One, right? Yeah. Did you see that? Did you see the Honest trailer of the MCU? No. So you know the Honest Trailers, right? Yes, I do. So they did one for the entirety of the MCU. And one of the things they do a lot of in that is that they pool all the common themes together of the Marvel movies. And he does this whole thing where it's people jumping out of airplanes. (laughs) Like a bunch of other stuff, you know. Um, So, all right, here's another question for you then, Endgame guy. Uh, How was Black Widow's sacrifice acceptable on Vormir? Why did that work? What do you mean? When it's supposed, it's, it's supposed you're supposed who, to sacrifice. You're supposed to sacrifice that which is most important to you of mm-hmm. someone else. You're supposed to mm-hmm. sacrifice someone else, and then that proves you worthy to get the stone. Yeah. And by her sacrificing herself, how does that how does that pass the key into the lock? And that's something I've never really grasped. Well, because would it be the, the Hawkeye? valued her the most and she died and so he suffered for it no matter what yeah but he didn't sacrifice her but he didn't sacrifice her well but I think they were both fighting to get there and then she you know she went up to him and got it 
it broke yeah, the law. Uh, it broke it broke the rules of Vormir. It the letter, not the intent. Well, and then when you read and again with the sausage making, you read that there was a lot more of to the Vermeer stuff. There was battles there in the original work, and they even filmed some of it. They even had, yeah. So I, yeah, I don't know. I think that they were kind of struggling oh, with how they were going to handle that part of it, and they just they they, put, they pinned this, and that's what they went with. But I, let's let's um, wait for the extended edition <laughs> with twenty minutes of footage. It'll explain that's more right. to us. Yeah. That's right. Well, but I mean, you know, you, again, it's all about potential and you know how things sliding door themselves. Could there have been a version of that scene that fit the internal logic of the of the world that they've created? Right. If mm-hmm. the ultimate self sacrifice gets you the stone, we could have seen a position where Skull offers. Yeah. He he could have offered Hawkeye his kids back. Yeah. And he absolutely. has to choose to do it or not because that was one of the that was one of the theories we had leading into Endgame was that we were going to see a problem where we were going to see a scenario where because we had seen that there had been bits and pieces of filming that looked like it was other time periods of the MCU and one of the theories and one that I had held for quite a while was that the Avengers were going to be tempted by the reality changing effects of the stones and be given what they want and mm-hmm. recreate reality based on that and then have to slowly break themselves out of that fantasy. So, to me, the idea that, that Skull would give Hawkeye his kids back and then say, you know, here you go, choose, and then for him to sacrifice either his kids or himself um, would have been a way they could have done it. Yeah, yeah, agreed. And uh, then uh, less, time, less time with the haircut that way, too. Less time with the haircut that way. But I, I think they just... Um... I think they took some liberties with that, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Obviously, um. I will say that um, uh, there's a his, there's a long thread of um, Romanov's character in the MCU having um, having a much stronger emotional connection to things than she lets on. Mm-hmm. Between all of her flashback. Reference, like these references to the things that we're eventually going to see in her movie, I guess, but also the references to what she's been doing over these last five years and all that stuff. You know, she she's sitting there trying to keep Avengers afloat because she feels that commitment. So the idea that she would sacrifice herself for something that she felt was this important did read true to the character. And I read Absolutely. some things yeah. after the movie where people were like, why would she do, why would this pragmatic soldier do this and I'm like actually it, it made a lot of sense with that character well, they, this, they was her fam- this was her family right yeah well and, and they saw Istanbul that's right <laughs> with the red on her ledger yes right? yes uh, but, this, so. but, but the Avengers are her family and her her life with them legitimized well, her against well, all the things she did before yeah, I, I think it was even more simple calculus to her than anything else he had kids she had none boom right right she had nothing she didn't lose she didn't lose what he lost. You're right. right. And it was a loving yeah. sacrifice in that sense. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so another item uh, that has been talked about a lot is uh, Thor's transformation and um, a lot of the, uh, you know, a lot of the media and stuff and, and fans refer to him as Fat Thor, which I think is kind of rude. I, I um, that, well, the, first of all, that's fat shaming. So that's it, not, it is. That's not, correct. But, 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 I mean, that's, that's Thor Lebowski. That's all you need to say. They, they call, yeah, right, in the, in the official... The official yeah. um, internal references, he's Brothor. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, absolutely, the fact that he was 
Lebowski-ing it about was just killing me in the theater. I just like, I couldn't believe it. I, I, I'm, pretty, I'm, I'm very convinced that they had the original wigs mm-hmm. from Lebowski. And the sweater. That they put, <laughs> and the sweater that they gave to Thor. I, 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 it was uncanny how you know, good that was. And with Jeff Bridges' connection to several superhero um, yes. the heavyweights, uh, you could easily see where they could get their hands on that. But that was I, just phenomenal. I, I love so, that. I was so desperate for some shitty jellies on his feet, you know? <laughs> but the thing that I loved most about his... Um, his time in this film. I really liked the direction they took. I liked their version of Asgard on earth. Yeah. I liked his, I loved everything about his dodging his responsibilities. And I love that, um, Taika Waititi was back and doing his whole thing. And <laughs> I mean, everything about it was fantastic. I loved that. I loved at the end that he's back in a position of being with the guardians and is still a threat <laughs> to star Lord. You know, I just, the thing I loved, uh, the, the the aspect of all this that I found the most interesting was, and it's a small thing, but when he gets his mojo back and he's going into the battle, uh, there's lightning in his beard. Mm-hmm. And also, he had a braided beard. He had this great old, old school Viking look in his final version when he rede- when he sort of redeemed himself and went at it in the third act. Which I thought was really fantastic because it's, you know, like the lightning did that, right? Like it, it formed him and then he had braids and shit. And like, like everything, all the, all, all that like pre Odin look was, you know, just lightning powered. But I just loved it. I love those details. I love those old, those old school things that they did to him at the end. And I really, I, honestly, he's a sizzle chest, but I would love if he stayed in this form for the rest of it, the MCU's use of Thor. We'll see. I, uh, it'll be interesting. Well, because yeah, they painted themselves into a corner here. Because if yeah. they allow him to slim down, then they're arguing that there's something wrong with him being bigger. And granted, yeah. health conditions are a concern. But I mean, in general, not to a god. So there's really no reason they made they made him into what's his name the uh, the, the the warrior three that's Volstag 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 big yeah. yeah yeah. The gregarious drunkard, yeah. Yes, yeah. yes. I would, I would like him to stay the way he is. I think it would be, um, I think it would be more interesting. But at the same I, time, I, but I, I think they'll probably go to a compromise where yeah. he slims down a bit, but he maintains the hair and the beard. Yeah, I think, and also right. they're they're actually um, threading the needle in a couple directions because if they slim him down, then it seems like they're validating fat shaming. But then if they don't, then the cries that they are playing mm-hmm. being overweight for laughs start to increase too. So it's mm-hmm. like, I don't know. It would be a great final act, but they don't, but <laughs> we know it's not right. So I don't know. Well, I mean, I think they still have a lot of directions they can go. I don't think they paint themselves into a corner. I just think that no matter what they do, they're going to piss somebody off. That's true. <laughs> I wrote here that Cap had a nice case made. We talked about that. Um, that one time in Budapest. <laughs> that one time in that. Budapest, yep. Um, what did you think about Professor Hulk? I think it was a gentle way to retire the character that uh, would imbalance any plot line uh, in, a, in a way they didn't want it to. What do you mean? Um, well, so now if they, if they wanted to, there, there would be no more Hulk. 
right? And any of the plot lines other than kind of the sage advisor, maybe at some point, or when they want to do a crossover genre. Hmm. But, but did you like it? I thought I thought it was a, a, a logical way to put about the seed. <laughs> but did you like? Be honest with you. Um, well, I'm saying that if, if they want to retire him, that's the best way to do it. Huh? Right. I loved it. I loved it to death. I I could not get enough of how. So I just love the concept of it. I love that he that Banner had captured not only the physical power of Hulk, but he had captured some of the freedom and the mm-hmm. confidence. And the and the um, the sort of rebelliousness of that, but then tempered it with his own uh, id. I don't know. I thought it was really fascinating. I love the choices made. I love that he was, you know, play, playing up on the fact that he was always thought of himself as a monster and all this other stuff, and that now he was he was so validated to the point where he's taken snap you know selfies and he's so comfortable mm-hmm. and he's got all this stuff. I thought it was great. However, I also think that they they planted the seeds if they want to take take a direction that the comics did, which is that a future Hulk is in the comics is a future Hulk. They call it the Maestro, which is terrible, but uh, you know it's the Hulk continues to evolve the intelligence, but the power as well, and so then becomes a basically a, a big bad. Um, mm-hmm. I don't really don't want that, but I do think that there's a lot of fodder in the classic Hulk story if. Banner had reached this so perfect happy medium and everything was so great and he's reached he's he's totally enlightened and everything is fantastic and then it starts to fall apart a little bit because maybe it's not so fantastic and maybe he's you know but so maybe, I, I mean, so, maybe Hulk's not so, as into this as he thinks it is yeah but I, I just to me what's still disturbing the, about the MCU is that they there's a lot of, of the significant others of a lot of the major characters that have just gone by the wayside right, right. like Natalie Portman um, we'll say uh, Betsy Ross, right? Yeah. Whomever manifested her. Um, Liv Tyler. Liv Tyler. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, I, I guess Linda, if he, Linda if, Cardellini. If, no, no, no. If if the Hulk, if it was Professor Hulk, right, or mm-hmm. Monster Banner, um, why isn't he with Betsy? Well, that assumes Betsy is alive. Well, after the blip. Yeah, but we haven't had a blip. Yeah, I know. I'm just saying that would, but over that time. Yeah, you're right. I guess. Yeah. Um, I, I, it was a it was a it was a surprising and fun direction to take a very classic story with the Hulk that that also allowed them to somewhat neutralized a power player on the board. Right. right. The, 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 the problems the, were Hulk is too powerful, Captain Marvel's too powerful. Yeah. And by making him like, well, I'm a pacifist now or whatever, you know, that was <laughs> but like all those yeah. No, I don't I don't want to fight your sister, man. That's just weird. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and <laughs> Oh man. Mark Ruffalo, dude. I mean, okay, yeah. and so, and so the. I, I am gonna. I am gonna really miss the scenes. Sorry, it's just an aside. This is a fan of, of Robert Downey Jr. and Mark Ruffalo. Those, oh, yeah. those were some of the best scenes, uh, human on human. In oh, yeah, yeah. Well, but I also think that um, 
that's the kind of the 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 writing and the detail on him is some of the stuff that I think is going to play the best on repeat viewings. It'll still be fun. Yep. His well, little but, reactions. Like I meant to do that, you know, like all that stuff that he's pulling, the handing off tacos, you know, like <laughs> <laughs> again, the satchel of mini tacos. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The, um, but I, I just worry that they're going to just put him out to pasture. Right. Yeah. Because I mean, actually in the popular vernacular out there, nobody's asking about what's next for Mark Ruffalo. <laughs> I've seen, right. I yeah. haven't seen any, yeah. any, any questions about that. Um, and so, you know, what is the Hulk that's completely sideboxed? Uh, it is interesting, but it would be interesting if Hulk ends up being an, another the, one of the next big Marvel villains. In the same way, an, a, an evil Cap would be interesting. Yeah. In the old, in the old kill your darlings uh, methodology, any of the major original guard becoming the enemy is interesting. They already mm-hmm. did it with Civil War, like. Tony Stark becoming the enemy to some degree that already happened. We've seen that, but I mean, I would like to, I would love to see, I would love to see some of those kinds of things. I would love to see the next generation of, of, uh, MCU, uh, sort of torchbearers having to face the original guard in a negative way. I don't know. I think that's interesting. And that's a classic. And the other thing is that's a classic component of Avengers, right? So, Something in the original Avengers film that I it took me a, like several viewings to wrap my head around it. So I think that Joss Whedon did do a good job about it. But um, I, it took me a lo- multiple viewings to decide that the stone in the in Loki's uh, staff was seeding chaos and violence and anger and aggression and turning the Avengers against each other. That it was mm-hmm. a chaos item. It took me many viewings to come to that conclusion. I just took it for granted that they're just randomly bitching at each other, right? <laughs> like it didn't it didn't play well to me the way they intended. But in the but 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 now having seen it enough times and deciding that that's the case, I loved that. It could have it could have been done better, but I loved the idea that they were going to play on the Avengers are torn apart from within because that was the story of the original Avengers in the comics. Mm-hmm. And, and I like that. And so in some, in some sense, thematically, I'd like the idea that the next phase of, of the MCU is about, uh, coming to grips with the, uh, messes your parents made. Right. Right. So, well, but I mean, they've already explored that in Black Panther. They did that yes, in yes. With, with the Tony Stark. I mean, it's a common yes. ideology, right? Yes. The, um, but make our but, heroes the ones that are not as shiny anymore right so so the interesting part to that that they've already pointed to is in um far from home mm-hmm. um they Absolutely already kind is. of planted the seeds of that kind of discord between Absolutely. the popular discussion and what actually was there and Absolutely. then and the weight of leadership and i mean i i was stunned right i was just absolutely stunned that they went to the levels that they did to say peter parker is the new tony stark because that that was never in the timelines in the golden era when I was reading Marvel that, that ever existed ever period. And so this, this whole thing, it's an MCU, um, it's an MCU uh, mechanic in the comics, in the civil war. You read, did you read the comic civil war? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. there was know, nothing like that. Stark, Stark adopted Peter Parker and, and sort of in, uh, sort of uh, enabled him to be more like Stark and take, yeah. take on a more public role. He convinced Peter Parker to out himself to the world and join his cause and he armored him up with the Iron Spidey and stuff and all that mm-hmm. but it it felt like he was 
he meant well, but he was ultimately using Parker as a tool in this ideological war. Yeah, and, 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 and in not, the MCU, and not as a handoff, not as a right, not, not as a ward, right? right? And they yeah. pushed right, and they pushed really hard in Far From Home that uh, Tony was seeing in Parker the the guy he always wanted to be, or the guy that he could be, without the baggage of Steve Rogers. It was sort of like if he and Steve Rogers had a baby, and yep. that's Peter Parker, right? Well, or or, or someone that wasn't with, uh, burdened with uh, being, you know, one of the richest kids on the planet. He was really sure. what Tony Stark. I, I'm pretty sure he's what Tony Stark wished he was. Well, that's right because he right. he so he always Tony Stark always had a a, a hang up over uh, Steve, even though they were friends, he had always had a hang up over Steve Rogers because Steve Rogers had black and white ideology. And Tony Stark was in gray. And he always felt that that was the weakness about Rogers. And that led up, ultimately led to the conflicts that they had. Those ideological breaks were about him feeling like, you know, Steve Rogers is the best we have. And yet his weakness, his kryptonite is that he believes in the best in people. <laughs> right? But it's, but, yeah, so, but, it's, but it's the same thing that Tony did to uh, Peter Parker. Well, that's he what used I'm the same naivete about black and white that got him into the side that he was on with Civil War. Well, right? yeah, so, yeah. I, I, yeah, yeah, maybe. But I, I, I think that I, I felt like Stark looks at Parker and says, you know, here's a guy that has the uh, altruism and I don't know the, the intelli- and, no, and the, the intelligence. intelligence. Let's be clear. He's the hero of Rogers with the intelligence of Stark. Right. That's what I'm saying. He's like the baby that they couldn't have. (laughs) And that's what inspired him. Yeah, yeah. I'll just say that I think Tony saw the person that he always wanted to be in Peter Parker and handed off. Yeah, I I don't know if it's a merge with Steve Rogers, but uh, at the very least, it's, it's what Tony always wished he could be. The entire conversation, um, I've had your GIF up in the corner of my screen <laughs> of these these cat-sized rats chasing someone on an electric scooter. It's just the weirdest <laughs> thing. Not even an electric scooter. It's a hand. It's a regular manual scooter. Yeah, it's horrifying. Okay, so um, do you want to pick a red tentacle for this? Uh, yes. Let's revisit what a red tentacle is before I pull it. Okay. <laughs> so the red tentacle is your favorite scene or scenes or fi- or things or concepts in the project. Oh, I, I mean, I will always come down to Endgame, where Tony yes. goes, I am Iron Man. Pop. That's it. Uh, and to know that that was a reshoot that was offered up by one of the second-tier writers is just me, brilliant. I, I, don't, I don't know that about that. Yeah, yeah. So, so the, the, at the end, it was just to say, I am inevitable. And then Tony just clicks his fingers. There's nothing in the original cut. And so they went back and we shot it and they're, they're trying to say, okay, this is a great opportunity for Tony to say something witty. And, um, it goes, I am Iron Man. Boom. That was a, I mean, it was an incredibly powerful scene. Yeah. No, no, Uh, uh, to me that, that is the shot and the summary of the entire MCU to this point right there. Got it. Makes sense. I endorse it. For me, uh, the red tentacle would be in generally general. It's it's all of the time travel sequences. I really enjoyed, particularly Cap versus Cap, 
uh, also the elevator fake out because the elevator scene <laughs> and the nice and the nice butt. <laughs> yeah, that's the butt of America, whatever. The, like, and that meme, that meme that Ruffalo has been sending around, where uh, I, I think it's Chris Evans from. Uh, Scott Pilgrim or something, where he's like jock in the high school. Oh yeah, and he yeah, walks yeah, up yeah. and he looks at the picture of it, of the butt and then walks with yeah. <laughs> it's hilarious, man. It's still giving that gift, but uh, just I love the cap versus cap uh, sequence. I thought they yeah. did an incredible amount of work in making you feel like you were seeing an older, more experienced and tired versus prime but less experienced cap. Yeah, fresh out of the mind. cap. Yep. Wait, not really though, because it's Avengers cap. It's not, you know what I mean? Like, it's not first Avengers cap. Like, that was cap in his theoretical prime at that time, mm-hmm. but it was seasoned. I love stories where the seasoned older version of a character takes out their younger self. Like, from yep. Looper on down, I love that concept. But this was everything that, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it was everything that we haven't gotten in so many versions of that, right? Like, I really bought that I could see the difference between the two of them. Yeah. yeah and no, I love that. But, I love but, that. But I, I, I'm, and I think they're very deliberate about it. I just think it yeah. just goes to the grand spectacle and um, how extraordinary the team is over on the Marvel side of the house, especially with the Russo right. brothers, right? That they just, that level of detail, that level of commitment, that level of follow through and connectivity is breathtaking, right? It was. And the fact that they would put so much work into the subtlest detail to yeah. differentiate between people. And uh, and also, I really, like, again, the elevator fake-out, because the elevator scene in Winter Soldier was my favorite oh, no, 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 And for that, that fake-out was just hilarious. That, yeah. Um, and I liked, and the other thing I said... <laughs> what, what? No, I just... Uh, uh, that is a brilliant one. That Hail Hydra, that has given us a case. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And the, and, the, and the other thing I really liked is that things failed. Yeah. I liked that the primary gambit for this whole thing, which was set up in this sort of like, we cannot fail, you know, we got to be the heroes and save the day. And I love that it did fall apart. It didn't work the well, way they and, wanted it to work. And, and who, who, who screwed the pooch? I don't know. Who are you saying screwed the pooch? No, no, the, the, the one who lost the stone that they had to go back and do the redo of. I thought that was also very interesting and, and uh, compelling. Right? Correct. Correct. What about your black octopus? Okay, so the one that I I would want to redo. Yes, it's the thing you like the least. Oh. Out of uh, either one of them. Well, I mean, in so in game, what no, was no, your but, least favorite? No, but thing? not in game. Well, it's in game and uh, far from home, right? No, no, no. We're doing oh, these separate. Okay. So in game. I would I have to say that some of the interactions between Tony and his dad were a little forced. Yeah. And uh just kind of sophomoric. Especially given the level of detail and, and, and complexity between the two and every other on screen episode. So it felt really um it felt it felt like we were watching a TV, like a TV show, at that moment. It was interesting, but it was too on the nose. It was very, it was hard to believe that uh, Howard Stark would have had that conversation and done that. Yeah, um, I agree. Yeah, that, that, that'd be the only one that I would point out. 
There's some of uh, Zamora, but yeah. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Well, oh, we should talk about that. But um, for me, my black uh, octopus would be the time traveling fleet. I just. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, I like that the fleet appeared because we needed we needed that to happen to have the big final battle, and I loved. I know a bunch of haters hated the the all the female characters, you know, in their moment, and I know. I love people, that. I thought that I was know. well, sure, but we're not those haters, right? Um. I really love the way they resolved bringing Captain Marvel back into it because they made her more interesting in that than the, all the last third of the Captain Marvel movie. I love that she just goes right through and pokes holes in his flagship and the other ships. And he, you see him look up and kind of go, what? <laughs> like you don't see Thanos do that expression very often. And it was rad. <laughs> so I love that. But uh, so in order to have that scene, we had to have the time traveling fleet. But I really hated the time traveling fleet. So um, thinking about um, Gamora then. So we have a future where Gamora, the Gamora that they have is not the Gamora that they knew. She was not. Not only was she never in love with Star-Lord, but also she doesn't have the years of softening and moral uh, programming that the old Gamora had. Where do you think they're going to go with that? Well, she doesn't know anything about Kevin Bacon, which is the first thing they have to correct. Correct. Um, but I don't know. I think. Well, I, I guess it comes down to where they want the Guardians to go, right? So if they right. want Star Lord to be out of Guardians, the best way to do that is this opportunity space, right? Right. Um, if they but I mean, I have... think. I, but so she's not with them at the time at the end of this movie, but. If the if the next Guardians movie is about them trying to go get her and yeah. uh, kind of bring her back from the edge because they you know whatever that could be interesting. We've never seen anything about this supposed most dangerous woman in the galaxy, you know. Yeah, especially if she kills Chris Pratt. Right. Right. His, his Instagram has been very annoying lately. Yeah. Fair enough. So, so I mean, what what if they were really bold, right? So yeah. like they have demonstrated it and said, okay, we're going to make the Guardians and re- rebrand it under Thor. And um, the best way to do that is... <laughs> yep. Yep. Well, I, you know, and one of, the comp- one of the complaints I've had over Civil War... No, over uh, Infinity War and Endgame was that they turned Star-Lord from being flawed but charming and turn him into being annoying yeah which is an unfortunate thing I don't think that they intended that to happen but something happened something went wrong there well, his insecurities are becoming really that, weird well, I mean well, just like Chris Pratt looked like an ass next to Robert Downey Jr. I mean uh-huh. <laughs> like, like well but and there was so much food. yeah but there was so much promise at the beginning of Infinity War when he's like or that's a great plan and I love it except for it's terrible and I have a better plan. That was all very in character and felt good. But then yeah. and then he made he made poor decisions in Infinity War that I felt uh, even though I didn't necessarily like the flow of some of them, I felt like you could rationalize them with the character. But then mm-hmm. by the time you get into Endgame, I just he just never and frankly, even in Guardians Two, there was something about him that just didn't I found myself not rooting for him. And that's not what you want. I wasn't rooting against him, but I wasn't caring about his journey. And that's not what you want in a main character. Yeah. 
uh, on the flip side, there's Spider-Man uh, Far From Home. So we yeah. saw this part two. So we saw this a couple nights ago, right before the 4th of July. And um, this is another one where I think I would have loved to have had a whole lot less of the marketing engine behind it. I would have liked to have seen a lot less. And I tried not to. I didn't see any featurettes, but I saw some trailers. I would have loved to have gone into this with nothing. I, mean, I know it's impossible, but I think I would have benefited from that. See, I guess I, I, I'm on the other side of it because um, I probably only saw the worst of the branding activity and the trailers <laughs> and, yeah. and the mass media splits. And I was like, oh, this movie's going to suck. And not knowing you know, anything about the plot of it, there was some that we talked earlier about Jake Gyllenhaal and Mysterio. Right. And, and Mysterio was actually one of my favorites in the yeah. Marvel uh, villainry, full disclosure. Um, and then I was, I was surprisingly buoyed after the movie <laughs> right. because it proved all of my um, worst fears wrong. Right. So, yep. so in uh, Far From Home, spoilers... Spidey, well, Peter Parker goes on a European vacation with, or uh, like a some sort of weird sabbatical with the other students to Europe, and and he and he, and he just wants to be a kid. Everyone, he just, he just wants, wants to be, to be a, a kid. kid. There have been complaints that there's not enough of the 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 pathos of Peter Parker, like never getting what he wants and always having to suffer for his responsibilities and stuff. But the other side of Peter Parker is, as you say. It's the it's the child grown older. It's it's missing missing the chance to just be a dumbass and not have yeah. to have the world on your shoulders. And they did a really good job of selling that in this movie. I also thought um, I love that they gave Martin Starr a lot more because I love him. Agreed. Freaks Agreed. and Geeks. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, and I I love that they 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 really turned him into it seemed like in the first one he was more of a little bit more of a cynical teacher and i love in this one he had a sort of painted on enthusiasm that was unwi- un- unraveling as the trip wasn't going well <laughs> which i really enjoyed and jb smooth who i normally don't like uh he was cracking me up left and right man i was he was killing me yeah he, he was a he was a very effective uh, comic foil yes sir so I think they did a really great job of dealing with teenage romantic tension and aspirations and all that other stuff because it felt very juvenile and teen romantic comedy-esque in all the right ways without feeling formulaic and forced in all the wrong ways the way even earlier Spider-Man films had been. I think the way they handled his pursuit of MJ um, and his... Particularly his jealousy over this new guy just fucking was killing me. I thought it was so mm-hmm. good. It was, and that this new guy was a snap was a blip guy that had been some dumbass little kid, and then <laughs> re blipped. He blipped back into reality, and he had a six pack and whatever. <laughs> like, like, and and the other thing about it that I liked is they made the new guy into the Flash Thompson that we didn't get. I love yeah. the Flash Thompson we got. I love that character. But this is also the character from the comics now. That yeah, he's, have, he's not the Flash Thompson from the from the books right, at all. Right, right. And now yeah. we have that foil as well, which is like, I I can't tell anyone that I'm this actual badass, and I'm kind of, you know, I'm I'm, I'm kind of nerdy, whatever. And then here's this guy who's you know Mr. Football Star, and MJ 
apparently loves him, and I can't, and I could totally strangle that guy, but I can't. Yeah, it's my secret. He kicked, that, he kicked sand. In, he kicked sand in my face on the beach. Right. Yeah. And what I loved about his interactions with that guy in the film is, you never had. I feel like the McGuire era, you would have had him like do some spidey stuff to trip him up or like shoot a web to make him fall or, you know, just some stupid stuff like that. Other than the Edith uh, missile attack. Well, other than, but that's the thing that was so over the top and accidental that I really liked it. Uh, even, in dead, this, even dead. I'm the hero. Yeah. Well, I, I don't know. In this, I felt like um, Parker's reactions to him and his paranoia and his jealousy were very realistic. Yeah, yeah, and and I like that he didn't. Yeah, with the exception of that, which went wrong, um, he wasn't giving in to the urge to, you know, slap. I guess slapstick his way out of it. I don't know. Yeah. I liked it. Yeah, I yeah. really liked it. Um, so Mysterio, uh, there's a whole lot of baggage when you have a a character called Mysterio in a movie like this because all the comics readers know that he's a a sleight of hand expert, a magician, that there's never what you're getting is not what you're getting and all that stuff. Plus the fact that the marketing engine pushed hard to make you think that he is a hero. Yeah. Um, that kind of went overkill because then it's just, I mean, we all know he's going to be the bad guy. There was no surprise here. <laughs> the only surprise was going in and had actually not being the bad guy. And I was crossing fingers that they were going to go that route, that he wasn't, that he didn't end up being the bad guy and that they had done a switch from the comics and that was the MacGuffin. But, uh, but since they doubled down and they actually did it the way the comics did and, you know, made him a, a, uh, whatever, a, uh, you know, a con artist, the way they did it and the, and the way they tied it to the MCU as a whole was brilliant. Yeah. I thought they, they, they made the best out of that plot line they could mm -hmm. because if they had went with a traditional, it would be more, in the Ghost Rider, Doctor Strange crossover right. um, type environment, because even though he was a charlatan, he did he get trained in the mystic arts. Right, he was, so dark he was um, right. Yeah, so I'm really glad they made him a tech uh, wizard and not a real wizard. <laughs> yeah, I mean, really, fundamentally, it was that he was generating conflict in order to solve the conflict, or he was generating things to scare the shit out of his opposed that weren't really there. That was his arsenal. Um, what I thought was, I think what I thought was really effective, more so after I walked out of the theater and thought about it more, was that he got away with what he did because the Fury and S.H.I.E.L.D. that were there were not the real ones. Yeah, yeah. Well, that was also going to be my black tentacle is okay. that whole Cree is that whole Cree crossover thing. But, yeah, we'll leave that. All right. Later. Well, I mean, but, the, but in terms of plot logic, um, Fury would never believe this guy. No, no, like, Fury, um, Fury would never yeah. have believed. I mean, I, I, frankly, there, there's a lot about this that doesn't make sense under any context. There's, there's uh, surveillance equipment that <laughs> the basic array of of data mining that that uh, that the shield, let alone any other government operation, would be collecting would not yeah, be fooled by a visual and audio hallucination it doesn't make any sense yeah no but, and, and x-ray tomography and uh, yeah, yeah, uv yeah. infrared that, that would yeah. all been blah yeah no yeah. yeah it does make sense but but just from terms of character you know fury was all like he's good no problem he's endorsed <laughs> you know and 
idea, the idea that in the end you you find out that that's not really Fury, that that's Talos and his wife covering for him while he's in space, and they didn't have the they didn't have the experience to 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 disbelieve him. Yeah, uh, I thought it was but, interesting. But, but... But, but that's also my my uh, my greater uh, hope about this of what was with Fury out in the space arc. Right. What the hell are they going to do with that next? That was right. that was brilliant. Right. Okay. Well, let's jump to that then. I think that they are teasing that the one of the next big arcs in the Phase Four world is the attempt to um, do the secret invasion storyline, mm-hmm. but instead of it being bad scrolls invading Earth, which was already basically done with the Hydra thing. I think it's going to be uh, Skrull guerrilla fighters invading Kree and going after the Kree Empire. And that this is an offensive attack that Fury is helping with for them to go after the Kree Empire and break it apart. And that that's what also Captain Marvel's about. Yeah. Right? No, yeah, or, 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 well, and, and it, uh, I also thought it could be a uh, crossover to Guardians or whatever the Thor in space is going to be. Sure. Well, it's definitely spacey stuff, but to turn the fact that they turn the Skrulls into a sympathetic uh, yeah. species in Captain Marvel, and then for here um, to have them on Earth covering for him while he's out there with the rest of the Skrulls on some big mission. I love the idea that you would do secret in, that you would do secret invasion, but you would do it not on humans, but on on the Kree. I yeah, love yeah. the idea of breaking breaking in and making th- those characters the protagonist instead of the foe. Yeah. Oh my and, gosh, that would be great. And at least you get the uh, C. Charles O'Reilly back. <laughs> <laughs> now, did you? So uh, Talos as Fury having covered for Fury over various times in the timeline would suggest that's a, that's a convenient little uh, continuity fix for why Fury was seen eating toast points in Ultron, which is something I've always griped about. <laughs> yes, indeed. And so they give him an easy out to justify everything now. Yes, um, which I like, <laughs> but, it, and also the, the, uh, the unblinded eye too. That was a, there's some interesting uh, overlays there that I hope they they go into in some of the um, TV arcs that they do. What do you mean? Well, just uh, the, could could it have been Talos that actually had a retinal signature that created the false eye print for Fury to use? Hmm. And why would Fury need a false retina print? Because he unlocked all of the S.H.I.E.L.D. and Hydra databases at the very end with Widow with that eye when he lifted it. Oh, I see what you mean. That's what I'm trying to say. I see what you mean. Yep. Okay. I'm on board. What did you think about... What did you think about the way in which um, they handled Peter Parker coming out to MJ? Well, how do you want that compared? I mean, do you want to compare it to Tobey Maguire or Andy Cox? No, I mean, just, did, did, you feel, did, you feel, did you feel it was organic? Did you like it? Did you not like it? I thought I thought it was an interesting, spont- uh, little, you know, seemingly spont- spontaneous bit of script writing. 
Um, well, I like it didn't go the way he wanted it to. I yeah, like that it was a real denouement for him, and he didn't get his magical moment. It was her blurting it out to him and being like, what? <laughs> like, yeah, like I, No, it was MJ. It, it was, was subversive, MJ and I like that. It was MJ. Yeah, it was, right? it yeah. was subversive, yeah. and I enjoyed that. Now... Now I, uh, I, I, I yeah. still don't. I don't know how I feel about John Favreau and Marissa Tomei. That does seems wrong. <laughs> Although wow. they played, they played it a little. I liked it a little bit towards the end there when, when they were asking about them, and she's like, "Well, you know, we're casual." He's like, "Wait, no, we're not. Wait, what?" They're <laughs> <laughs> on. She is still was a little bit. Was a little bit off, but yeah. Anyway. She's so. She is still. I mean, she sizzles. She has so much charisma. Yeah. I love her, and I love the fact that that when we opened the movie, she had completely embraced his. <laughs> and it, they don't. I mean, I don't see this talked about in any of the reviews or anything. But let's also remember, he was snapped and gone, and then brought back to her. So she had a lot of time. She had a lot of time to, you know, yeah. come to terms with with the, with the reality of who he was and what he and what he had been doing for him to come back. I mean, she had five years of prep. So it wasn't just like overnight that she's like, yeah, he's Spider-Man. You know, it worked to me. Yeah, I agree. It was just, um, I just John Favreau. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the, I liked that. My issues, they, my, yeah, my issues are nothing to do with the script writing or plot line development or anything like that. It was much more personal than that. I got it. I, I thought it was neat that they pulled I mean this is the best of retcon that you can ask for they pulled actors from bit parts in earlier movies and mm-hmm. brought them into his cabal that was fucking hilarious yes agreed the guy with the arc well the, the, the guy at the arc the arc reactor and then you know I just thought that was hilarious but again it, it just shows you that level of detail yeah right I mean so you saw you saw snippets of that right between Man of Steel, uh, Dawn of Justice, and Justice League with the whole Batman, Superman, evil alien arc, right? With blowing people up and now having vendettas against them. Most notably the dude in the wheelchair that blew himself up. All right. Um, I see what you're saying. But it's... um, Consequences. Yeah, consequences. But it was just so brilliant about how they did it. And even uh, it, it, it goes into an overall MCU arc as well like Iron Man 3, Consequences, that whole timeline that they did with that was really brilliant. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. I did feel... I did feel that the... this, like, weird end of Act 2 reveal to the audience, but not to anybody else, it was exposition to the audience when Mysterio revealed himself, revealed his whole plan, started talking to everybody in, the, yeah. in that crazy... T- using the toast... Uh, mechanism to be like, well, you know, I'm toasting everybody in the room and all this, and giving us his whole thing. Um, that felt really strangely forced to me, and I was, I was suddenly felt like I was like, what movie am I watching? Yeah, the, the, the well, the Jill there was Hall, a way, there was a way yeah. of making that work better. Yeah, the Jill and Hall interface was problematic. <laughs> the Jill and Hall interface, but you love Mysterio though. Yeah, but but some of the screenwriting around it was awkward, right? right? And, they tried and the so they... hard. They tried so hard to make him sympathetic and trusting, trustworthy, and uh, and friendly, and a mentor. And then 
And then he was basically scenery chewing. Yeah. And what I didn't get is enough where he's smiling and saying all the things to Peter Parker, and then you see him go cold the minute Peter Parker turns his back. Like, we didn't get him sell that. We really saw two different movies with two different characters, the way that it was ultimately edited. And I, you know, I think that could have used some work. Yeah. Because they they just gave the really superficial coding, like, oh, I don't want to kill Peter Parker. Look what you did me. You made me do, um, you know, that whole thing. But that was just like Michael Keaton uh, in the original Spider-Man latest incarnation, right? Right. yeah, I'm so I, in a lot of ways I'm glad the way they handled the character, but I'm not that thrilled with who they got and how they portrayed the character. Yeah, I feel like I mean I feel like uh, Joan Hall could have done a lot of things with a lot of different characters, but I wasn't sure that this was the fit for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, the, to me this is much more Prince of Persia Joan Hall than <laughs> yeah, anything else. Yeah, I, yeah, I don't know. There's just, I guess I never, I didn't buy him when he was being Peter Parker's best friend, and then I didn't really buy him when he was, um, you know, just I don't know, the spurned uh, Stark employee getting his moment to shine, and everybody's in in cahoots with him, and then all of a sudden he de- he he basically devolves into let's kill all the witnesses and everybody in that room's like okay <laughs> yeah like i didn't you know there was no there was no moral compass there it was just like instantly he devolved into villain and yeah. um yeah the, 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 it didn't the, make a lot of sense to me yeah there wasn't that much of a moral discussion and any angst over it right and um he's like oh yeah so let's go kill hundreds of people <laughs> right right yeah right and as a guy who was in the position that he was in in doing all this work for Stark and not being someone with like some sort of like I don't know whatever black ops background why would a normal guy even if the guy was spurned I mean the, the classic stories are the you know the spurned scientists all pissed off and you know right Jamie Jamie Fox right you know and so the goes crazy instantly goes crazy and becomes this bad guy yeah, so but, I, I I would I would have loved it if he would have been like the chief counsel legal counsel or like yes. the PR that right? would have been yes right yes. And, and and then he got this twisted into the value proposition and became you know this is the big sell and the way to make money I would have much preferred that that's a great idea head of legal counsel for Stark that yep. would have been or like the PR guys or whatever yeah yep um, yeah I don't know and you know just. Uh, <laughs> I didn't. So the stinger, where he filmed a reveal, he made it look like he was brutally murdered by Spider-Man, and then he revealed his identity. Well, and and Jay Jonah. Don't well, okay, but 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 no, but but but, but just no, no, but just this aspect of it, the idea that this guy would, in his moment of defeat, would engineer a fra- one last trick and frame up to undermine uh, Spider-Man. I didn't understand that as a as a premise. No, un- unless unless he was the chief legal counsel or chief sales, and, right. and he had a beneficiary that was going to be directly positively impacted by that, right? The, the 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 idea that a foe of a costumed vigilante would be like, uh, "Well, I'll get you," 
And, you know, the best, the worst thing I could do to you is to unmask you to the populace. You know, that is such a trope that no, but... when, when Tony Stark revealed himself at the end of Iron Man, they broke the trope. They, they, they put a fork in it. And that was what was so brilliant about it. When this guy, his last, his last posthumous blow to Peter Parker is to reveal him to the world and to engineer a fake out that makes him look brutal that is movie plot logic for for a motivation and not character motivation if his motivation was to really hurt parker in every way possible he would have done something to hurt people that parker cared about or he would have you know what i mean like it just didn't i don't understand it as a real real a real motiva- motivation for that guy well no i i think i gave it as an opportunity that they whipped on is Peter Parker instead of being shocked about it, just owned it and said, "Yeah, you're right. I'm Spider-Man." Yeah, just like Iron Man did. Right. Well, I mean, it was a great. It was it was one of their better um, cliffhanger endings. It certainly, obviously, it echoes Stark and Iron Man, which is for. I mean, they've been doing that the entire movie, right? But um, I think it's an opportunity to bring in the trouble that this version of Parker hasn't had where everyone hates Absolutely. him. He's trying to, he has to fight negative public opinion and that kind of thing. Because this and, version, and Jay Jonah. this version, and bring right. Jay Jonah. Well, this version of Peter Parker has had popularity. He skyrocketed into the Avengers immediately. Everything's gone pretty well. Right. And he got the girl, right? So, this is an opportunity to bring in that some of the hardship that we maybe have not seen as much from him about. Um, and, and the thing about J. Jonah Jameson, which I thought was great is sure. There's the big, there's obviously, <clears throat> there's the thing that, um, JK Simmons jumped franchises or jumped iterations of the franchise and is playing the same character. And that was a real, you know, a, a fan, a fan, a fan, uh, feeding thing that they did, but also he was always really good at that. So that's you know, in and of itself, it was a great thing that they did because we need more of him ranting and to make him an Infowars guy is hilarious. No, and he was one of the few things I liked about the prior incarnations of the right. Spidey Enterprise, right? And and he is an awesome actor, right? I mean, he is. phenomenal, and I love the the success he's had in that show on Showtime. Ugh. Uh, the um, the one where he's uh, got a doppelganger. Yeah, gosh, John. Um, uh, I need to watch that. I haven't seen it yet. It's in my queue. Well, that, that that is a great. You should watch um, all of it. I've yeah. seen every episode. I can't believe I don't. I think they just canceled uh, it. Well, they ended it. Um, oh yeah. All right. Well, what's your uh, what's your red tentacle for uh, Far From Home? Unless there's anything. I mean, there's so many things about this movie that were hilarious. I loved so many little nuance, but you know. No, I, big I picture, to, a big picture thing. Um, I would still have to go back to <laughs> the one of the final interactions between Favreau and uh, Holland when they they're actually owning it up. Like, so you're you're without friends, you don't have anything. Uh, what are you going to do? Are you going to be the? Are you going to go home? Or are you right. going to go be the hero? Right. That, he mentored. That, Right, and basically Tony believed in you. That that whole little snippet was really powerful. That was one of the things I liked the most. But yeah, 
Uh, let's see. So I don't have any prepared. Um, I think for my red tentacle. Counterpart, by the way. Sorry. Huh? Counterpart. J.K. Simmons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah counterpart. Sorry. Counterpart. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, let's see. I think I liked that they let uh, MJ be this independent. She was this independent character and she was. She bucked so many of the tropes about the girlfriend character for these movies, but I like that they allowed her to be uh, vulnerable as well. Yeah, like they let her be both, but then she yeah. still wasn't. She didn't lose the veneer of of uh, being savvy too. So like even when things were getting close, and even when she learned things about him, she was still not. She still gave him shit. Like I like it felt it felt consistent with the character. Yeah. Can can I give my black tentacle? Uh, uh, um, because it's directly related to what you just said. All right, go ahead. The one thing I, the, the one thing I liked the least about it was the final scene where they had Spidey wheeling MJ through, and and the way that that whole it was great from a cinematography standpoint, but the whole thing at the end of the character, like let's never do that again. To me, that wasn't the MJ that you just talked about. R- right. Right. Uh, yeah, I agree. Yep. I thought it that was, was a it was stapled I thought that was on. a cop out. Yep. It was totally stapled on. Totally yeah. stapled on. Um so I think my black tentacle is uh uh just the 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 MacGuffin of or it's not MacGuffin, it's a um I guess it's I don't know if it's a Deus ex machina, but it's the drones are drones can do anything. So this this movie <laughs> This movie's drones can do everything is some other movies uh, nanotech can do anything. And frankly, I was amazed that they didn't make it nanotech can do anything because Stark had done a bunch of nanotech stuff. So I was amazed that it wasn't that. I was amazed that it was actually things that were as exactly as big as an Epson uh, projector, but with guns on it. <laughs> I thought it was about the same size as my laser jet at home. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's uh, <laughs> exactly the same footprint. I th- I, yeah, I I hear you and resonate with that because it was a little ridiculous that those size robots cannot be picked up on radar or lidar and seen through you know these big public spectacles. But yeah, nanotech would have much been a much more compelling case to argue that they could shield themselves from that um, interrogation. Right, and there was an infinite supply of them, and instantly I got everything I hate the least or the hate the most in Marvel movies, which is the the infinite supply of a gray thing coming at you, right? <laughs> um, you know, that said, he did a lot of cool um, he did a lot of cool things with playing them off against each other and webbing them and, you know what I mean? Like, he, it was interesting to watch him fighting a bunch of little things chasing him at once. Um, it just, it wasn't uh, the design of the drone and the uh, unlimited abilities of the drones. And, uh, well, just... and his Petey Tingle. Petey Tingle. His Peter Tingle. Yeah. <laughs> Petey Tingle. Yeah. So, um, but I mean, overall, I think it was a really fun movie. I think they did a good job. And uh, if nothing else, they gave me more Europe paying for like wanting to. Oh, yeah. Go back well, and see more. Because they went everywhere I haven't been, you know, pretty much. Practically. I think they did a really good job of having this as the first cleansing uh, palette um, after Endgame to, to try and wash the ashes out of everybody's mouth. And I thought they did a really good job with it. So in the respect of anything else, they accomplished that. 
I didn't like, here's another part of my uh, tentacle. I was not convinced about the black Spider-Man costume concept. I think if they wanted to give him a black suit so that he doesn't look like Spider-Man, I mean, they, they came at it yeah. head on. Like, I can't be here and be seen as Spider-Man. There's no way this is going to work for them to give him another suit to use or just some other clothes to use makes sense. They shouldn't have given him Spidey eyes. Should just yeah. been him just in a regular paramilitary, like a little black ops suit. They didn't. The spider eyes make it like no no one would. I mean, the only thing about it that I liked was that they were like, well, you know, and this goes back to my other red, uh, red tentacle, which is they were calling it the, uh, what was they calling it? The spider monkey or no, were they calling it the night uh, monkey, night monkey, night monkey. The whole concept that the French had, that it was, oh, it's the night monkey that, <laughs> that they have on the news. That whole thing was a hilarious way of rationalizing uh, that there was a Spider-Man-like cr- character bouncing around in, a, in an unfamiliar place. That Night cover, Night hilarious. Yeah. yeah, I love that too. Yeah. <laughs> so, <Monkey. laughs> but it was fun. I mean, we walked out of there pleased with it, right? Oh, very much so. And, and, I, I said, and I, yeah. it, it was an important cleansing breath from Endgame. Because yeah, they, 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 yeah. they could have got a lot more silly ways. Yeah, and I think... Um, and I think I think it's fair to say that um, the strong the strength in this as well as its predecessor is that they that he he cashed in heavily on the best of eighties teen movies, not the worst, right? That and, he was and pulling, music. his nostalgia and was huh? And music. The, yes, and music. The, the yes. film was ridiculously motivated by eighties soundtrack. Yes, absolutely. Nowhere near as ridiculous as Stranger Things Season 3, but yes, yes, you're right. Um, all right, man. Well, that was Spider-Man Far From Home. I think it was delightful. I think it's going to hold up for repeat viewings. Um, I, uh, you know, I think, that, I think that there was a different direction they could have gone with the Mysterio thing that would have worked even better. I think, so there's an, another version of this film where Mysterio has... Uh, dark arts connections, and it's a way of bringing in the next gen of the Doctor Strange storyline. Yeah, yeah. Um, but they chose not to go that way, and and I think because everything about Peter's story has been about Stark and the legacy of Stark, it made sense that this was a a a a spurned Stark employee, um, yeah. doing it a did. posthumous takedown of his boss. Well, and and it, it well it, it kind of completes the the lineage that you, you marked upon before that. It's uh, the the son dealing with the sins of the father, and Peter Parker in this film was directly dealing with the sins of his adopted father. Absolutely, right? Absolutely. So, yeah. Now, how did you? Did, one last thing on this movie. How did you feel about the zombie, the zombie Stark moment? Um, because everybody was like, "Yay, it's the Marvels versus zombies thing," but. No, I, thought, I wasn't I thought, sure I needed I thought, it. I thought, I thought it could have been just better done with just the suit and the uh, skeleton underneath it. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I thought that was just kind of a, a cop out. I will <laughs> say that I was impressed and pleased with the fact that they did '70s style, uh, hyper, hyper stylized uh, hallucinatory vision sequences, which yeah. didn't seem like they had any place in the MCU, and they oh, did it. And I thought they did a great oh. job with it. Yeah, outside of Doctor Strange. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. Like it was, yeah. it, it was, it was a real taste of 
old Mysterio from the comics, and I really enjoyed it. Yeah, and even much more so than the extent of um, optical illusion in Strange. Yeah, they, for they sure. actually yeah they, they did a very great job of of having those mind bitter scenes and the kind of the the hall of mirrors right right which is really cool. All right, man. Well, uh, do you uh, do you have any what we call rum fueled recommendations for us today? Nosferatu, AMC. Wait, the original the, the original film from nineteen. 19- no, it's a new series. Uh, with uh, Quinto as Osferatu, and it's got a really great. Oh, um, yeah, 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 yeah. It's yeah. really good. So, watch the first episodes of that, and it is outstanding. So, go see that. I, um, I finished Jessica Jones season three. Do you see it already? No. Okay. Um, it had its strengths and weaknesses, but I enjoyed it, and I would recommend it. Um, again, I'm slowly working my way through uh, Legion, but we started Stranger Things as well, and I've only seen one episode, and everybody's reactions online seem to be about the entirety of the series, or the entirety of the season. My reaction off of the first episode was really forced, didn't feel tonally right, but I'm reading nothing but good things about the rest of the season, so I'm I'm on. I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna stick with it. Obviously, there's no question of that. But um, I'm hoping it's gonna um, kind of get back to it, the energy of the previous seasons that I liked. But um, I definitely recommend yeah. it anyway. Did you see any of so, it yet? No, I have not. I'm gonna go back and watch the last half of season two. Oh yeah. Um, I had to go get one of those recaps to kind of yeah. <laughs> just touch base on some stuff. Because I, I remember a lot of really significant stuff happening, but I'm not sure that my memory of it is uh, uh, equal to the job required to watch season three. <laughs> yes. Um, so, and then planned plundering. Do you have any planned plundering that you want to tell me about? Um, well, I got the new Neil Stevenson book, and so that's yes. the, 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 the planned plundering that I have in store. What's the title again? Uh, fall or Dodge in Hell? Fall or Dodge in Hell? Mm-hmm. A double meaning. Oh yeah, um, it, yeah. It, uh, it's it's a it's a fascinating the read by the synopsis of it, and I bought it and it just arrived in my inbox um, like ten days ago, but I haven't had a chance to read it yet. I, I pre-ordered it. Yeah. yeah. Hey, on uh, in your Rumfield recommendations, weren't you also going to say Dark? Yeah, dark uh, Netflix series. If you haven't had the opportunity to see it, it is fantastic. And that's um, a that's a European import, right? It is, and I watched it. So I did. I watched season two, episode one, and I loved it so much. I went back and binge watched season one all together. Oh wow! So it, it is. Uh, it is really good. I have. Um... And sorry, I also have to Go say, ahead. Dark Mirror. The, the oh, Mac yes, new... episode. Which one? The Mackie episode. Oh, right, right, right. That uh, is some of the bravest and most powerful TV writing I've seen ever. It's amazing. I heard about the episode. I've read about it and I've heard about it. So, but, uh, and it sounds great, but I want to see it. You, you've got to see it. It is just, it is amazing. 
Um, I have on my plan plundering two projects that I think you're going to laugh at the waste of my time. One of which <laughs> is Hotel Artemis. Um, just because I... Yeah, no, I get that. Yeah, I want to see it. Um, and then the other is uh, uh, Dark Phoenix, which I know oh. is a waste of my time. I'm actually hoping that it goes direct, direct to video in the next week so I can get it before I jump on the plane because I'm going back to... Uh, it's it's going to go direct to sewer before yeah. you go. To- <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, I, I have just, a I have a large so, body of films that I've prepared, so I have a lot to watch on this trip if I have time. Can I just can I just, yes just to key you into the disappointment yes. that is Dark Phoenix? I urge you to go back and watch either Days of Future Past or Logan. Yes. Okay. And then. Watch one of them before you watch Dark Phoenix, <laughs> because the letdown is incredible. That's oh. really interesting that you would say that because a lot of people don't think that Days of Future Past worked very well either. I mean, Apocalypse oh obviously was a, a dog's lunch, but I com- comparatively to the rest of the X Men dribble that's out there, Days yeah, of Future yeah. Past was one of the best, in my opinion. Yeah. I thought it, it had was a Peter. It had a movie. Peter. It had a Peter Dinklage. Yeah. Well, all right. Well, I mean, I'm still going to see Dark Phoenix, but I'm prepared. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry that you're going to do that to yourself. <laughs> okay, man. Well, uh, this has been a pleasure. It's been a real pleasure. Indeed. And safe travels, my friend. Uh, thank you, sir. And uh, when uh, when I'm over there, hopefully we'll get a chance to talk again. We've got a number of other hot pro- hot projects to discuss. Absolutely. And Chris, uh, hope you're doing well and hope to talk with you soon. I am afraid that Chris is probably buried under the uh, the, the overall uh, mass of the rats in that gift that you sent me. <laughs> <laughs> All hail our Nutria overlord. <laughs> All right, man. Take it easy. You too.